A man become preeminent, he is expected to have enthusiasms. 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 What am I? What draws my admiration? What is that which gives me joy? Baseball. Alrighty, folks, welcome back to the Poe Hitter Podcast. This is Rob D, the Dead Poe Hitter. You can find me on Twitter at Dead Poe Hitter. My episode tonight includes two guests who have a great podcast themselves. It's called On the Wire Podcast. It's on the Pitcher List Podcast Network, and it is hosted by Adam Howe and Kevin Hastings. They do a great job in season with Fab, uh, Fab Pod that they do on Saturdays to get ready for the upcoming fab weekend and during the off season they have just been running through player news and having some great guests on as well so um got the chance to talk to them tonight and we spoke about a lot of things and we even had a cool little draft in in the middle of it or toward the end that um had to do with stolen bases and the idea was to find um players who would increase their stolen base output the most so it's not drafting total stone bases but who would improve from their last year mark but in the range of 8 to 20 stone bases um random draft that I came up with and just thought it would help with us trying to identify players who might take that next leap up um and we also did some ADP battles and we also discussed the differences between 12 and 15 team leagues and draft champions and NFC50s and a whole bunch of other topics so hope you enjoy the podcast all right, folks, welcome back to the Pole Hitter Podcast. I'm Rob D. You can find me on Twitter at Deadpool Hitter. Tonight, I have two special guests with me, two fine gentlemen who host a podcast that is pretty, it's pretty, pretty important during the in-season. And then now you guys are bringing the heat in the off-season, laying out episode after episode. I have Mr. Adam Howe, Mr. Kevin Hastings. Fellas, thank you for joining me. What's going on? What's up, Rob? Thanks for having us, man. This is, this is great. We've been it's been a long time coming. <laughs> reschedule right. after reschedule. <laughs> Definitely has. Good to have you guys here to lead off the new year. Yeah, this is awesome. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year. Even though, um, according to Larry David, you're past yeah, the okay. cutoff date. You know, he has a three day, but I'll give you the January 4th. I'll there, give you the January. The one day buffer. Give, I like yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. School doesn't start here till tomorrow. So yep. I think we're still on holiday. Oh, yeah. So you'll still be you'll still be happy New Year to a lot of people. Um, yeah. Okay. You guys have a limit? Maybe February? Can't say a happy new year. In <laughs> no, if if it's not January, no, 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 no. Yeah, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, sudden, some, yeah. Sometime this week, I think. <laughs> he also does the one where um he says you can't you can't say um you can't be recon you can't have any reconciliation for like 
a person who passed away. You know, he's like, oh, I I forgot what episode it was, but he was <laughs> a woman was like, oh, my dad passed away. You know, two years ago. He goes. <laughs> You know, yeah, that's, that's classic Larry David. You're yeah, past sure. the date. Like you can't be, you can't feel sorry for yourself anymore. You have to move on. This, uh, yeah, classic Larry David. So, um, yeah, so we have a lot of good stuff to to, to talk about. Um, but first, I usually, you know, I like to get in with the guest. Um, just talking about, you know, baseball in your life. Um, why do you, why are you such a big fan of fantasy and baseball itself? Um, did you play it? Did you coach it? Anything like that? Um, and whoever wants to take the lead first, go ahead. Go ahead, Adam. All right. Well, uh, let's see. Why is baseball important to me? Yeah, I saw this on the rundown. It's it's a diff- It's it's tricky, man. Because baseball for me has gone. I want to say it's gone in and out of my life, but I mean that's a good way of putting it. I mean, pretty diehard into it when I was doing little league, um, but I didn't like go any any anywhere past little league. So like I didn't play high school ball or anything like that. Um, and I got, so I didn't say, I wouldn't say I got away from it in high school, but it definitely wasn't as front and center for me after that. Um, when I got into college is when I started playing fantasy. So that was 2001. Uh, and we, it was mostly, you know, a group of, we started, believe it or not, we started with a six team league. Um, yep. Six teams. That was uh, exciting. Six teamer. Nice. Teamer. Yeah. yeah. And the fact <laughs> that I didn't win until year uh, four is really embarrassing. Uh, no, no, everyone's but, got a great team. You know, yeah, you're yeah, taught exactly. to be great teams. <laughs> now you got to be five great teams. <laughs> but I mean, it was just like, it was a way to like keep that core six group of guys together forever. Yeah. And, and I mean, the 12 team, it, it grew to 12 quickly after that we weren't a 16 league more than one or two seasons but um i mean that was the whole idea but it just kind of snowblowed into everything else it's like it be it it made me a better baseball fan like at the time i was just diehard red sox fan and uh probably not much more than that uh but you know jumping into a you know a, a, with a group of people i knew not like finding a bunch of people on message boards or, or joining a public league on yahoo or something like that mm-hmm. um it you know it forced me to become more uh aware of my surroundings in, in baseball right it, it, over the course of like five or six years it pushed me to like to actually decide hey i'm going to try to do this in baseball not playing obviously a little past that uh but i ended up uh taking a, a summer internship or I guess a year long internship with the blue Jays down in Dunedin in their, uh, both their spring training and high able facility. Um, so that was a ton of fun. And, uh, I would not trade that for the world. I, I will not move myself back to Florida if I ever have a choice in the matter, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, it was a great experience and, um, I ended up moving back and, uh, applied for a bunch of jobs, uh, across baseball, None of them really panned out in the way I was hoping. Um, I, had, I had an interview with the Dodgers and then didn't hear back from them for about three or four weeks, found out the person interviewing for the job got fired and they just didn't, they just d- decided not to call back any of the applicants for that wow. job. I'm like, yeah, all right. That worked out nicely. Jeez Christ. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, so- jump, I played, uh, I played fantasy ever since jumping in a bunch of different leagues. I, I wrote for a, uh, a site, um, called roto authority which is uh which was wow. run by yeah 
It's not powerful. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> it was run by Tim Dierks, who runs MLB Trade Rumors um, okay. at the time. So that was back in, oh, geez, like, yeah, mid 2000, 2007, 8. Um, and then uh, took some time off from like content creation and jumped in with, uh, with Pitcher List a couple of years ago alongside Kevin. Um, and I mean, we've been doing on the wire, um, ever, you know, for the last three, uh, what did we say, Kevin, anyway, the last two years, we just, we were just about to hit our two year mark, um, and jumped in NFBC about three years ago. So about a year before doing that, uh, started my first league was the, uh, was that, um, second chance league that they did. Yeah. Mine uh, too. In, my first one. Yeah. 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 Um, so that was fun. Um, I think I did middle of the pack. I think I came to sixth in that league, um, without looking up my, uh, my old stats, but I mean, I went in and out of like, there was a time in like 2000, you know, 10, I was in, you know, 20 leagues at a time, parred that down to like four. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, and then I'm back up as of last year, I did 25 leagues, 15 of them on NFBC. And I told my kit telling myself every year for the last three years, I'm going to, I'm not so much. I need to cut down how many leagues I'm doing, um, but I need to cut down how many platforms I'm doing them on. Right. Um, that and makes a big difference. It does. I mean, I, I'm doing, I got an odd new league. I just can't kick. I love it. I can't. It's the only thing on, I only have one on new league. <laughs> so it's like, I have to go to fan for that one league, my home leagues on Yahoo. So I don't mind having a couple leagues on Yahoo. Uh, but then I have like two leagues on fan tracks and then all, you know, all the NFPC and like four platforms <laughs> is too many platforms, man. That is a lot. <laughs> that is a lot. I know I've, I, I've now gotten down to NFPC, CVS and fan track. So, and those, you know, are home leagues that. Yeah. I'll, you can't I'll, quit. I'll never, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I would love to move it to the. BC, especially since like <laughs> I uh I showed my brother um you know like how Fab works and he was oh, just geez. like and he goes wow that's <laughs> all so he was saying he's like you know because fan track TBS is like oh my god like that's actually the biggest thing I mean it's just, it's just going to do Fab and I'm like this process stinks <laughs> so I try to do it like a day ahead of of like NFPC Fab so. You know, it's uh, it runs uh, um on the same Sunday, uh, but then we also have a midweek pickup, and um, so at like Thursday night. So I try to do all my fabbing in the middle of the week, even for that following week, because on Sunday night I'm like, I just want to do an FBC. Yep. You know, so um, it's your priorities. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about your story, Kevin? What do you um tell us your journey through your 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 life? Oh man, I I loved baseball as a really really small kid, like five six years old. Uh, I was already in love with it. Um, diehard Royals fan that early. Uh, I grew up <clears throat> at that time at that age. I was in Southern Iowa, so it was mostly um, Chicago Cubs. Kansas City Royals, few Minnesota Twins fans, and then the, your typical teams that have fans all over the country, Yankees, Dodgers. Uh, and um, either fortunately or unfortunately at the time, I, I chose the Royals and probably had a lot to do with, for being a young team, which I didn't realize at the time, uh, they only came into existence in 1969, and I'm talking mid-70s here. Um 
they they became a very good team very quickly. And so year in, year out, back then, we didn't get a lot of baseball on TV until the postseason. But I got to see the Royals play. I got to see them play the Yankees and for uh, about three years lose to the Yankees, you know. And um, <laughs> and on, uh, I, I, I think the first time that I was ever – heartbroken was when Chris Chambliss hit his famous home run against mm. the Kansas City Royals. Uh, yep. I, I still vividly remember that happening and being a six-year-old kid just distraught at what had just happened. All um, of Kevin's past girlfriends are like, oh, you kidding me? Yeah. This baseball broke this guy's heart? Uh, yeah, Chris Chambliss. I, I don't remember his heart was already names. broken. Yep. <laughs> I know their names. I, I, I don't know their names. I know Chris Chambliss. You know Chris right? Chambliss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, exactly. Crazy. So, yeah, and my dad, he he was the guy that we, we were out in the yard playing catch after dinner every night. Um, and, and in the summertime, that was that was baseball. In in the fall, we'd throw football. Um, he wasn't much into basketball, but he would, if, if it was, a, if that's what I wanted to do, we'd shoot baskets. So my dad was involved with a lot of that as well. And then, yeah, I played up through, uh, through high school. Uh, I went to a small high school in rural Nebraska. So it was American Legion ball for our high school team played through high school. Absolutely loved it and went on to, uh, no longer playing, uh, shifted to, softball i played uh, quite a bit of softball over the years uh but it was when i got out of the navy uh one of my friends i got back into town omaha nebraska and a friend of mine asked me if i wanted to play fantasy baseball um and i was my eyes just lit up i didn't realize that was a thing yet i had played uh fantasy football very little at the time um, it was with, with guys in the Navy I had played. I'm actually still in a league with the, the Navy guys, fantasy football. The only fantasy football I play is a, a league of 10 of us that were in the Navy together over 20 years ago. That's cool. Um, yeah, that's really cool. That's how yeah. we stay in touch. We go to Vegas for our draft. Our wives come. They hit, they all hit it off when we first started doing that a few years ago. They look forward to it as much as we do. It's awesome. It really is. Uh, that's great. Yeah, but... Uh, yeah, my buddy that asked me about playing fantasy baseball in, in 2001, just like Adam. Uh, at first, we were uh, we got we kept our own stats from the Omaha World Herald uh, scoreboard page, box scores, nice. and we we did everything via email. We had email at the time. We still weren't using a site to to for our teams. And the reason I remember this so vividly is because we were a 10 team league. Um, each starting, we had nine hitters that was included, including a utility. Uh, the outfielders were not split up. So it was three outfielders, one utility, one at every other position, six pitchers of which at least one, but no more than two could be relievers. And, the, the kicker was only 10 pickups throughout the entire season. We could do wow. all the trades we wanted, but only 10 pickups for the season. That was the answer that they had come up with to uh, prevent streaming pitchers at the time. 
Uh, so that just seems crazy to me now. Ten pickups throughout the entire season. It's like we make ten some weeks now, you know. Yeah. Ten more than we're getting in the Gladiator leagues. <laughs> right, that's true. <laughs> Very true. And, and the other thing I remember is at the time um, when we did transfer to having a site keep our scores for us, uh, it was on Rotowire. I don't know if a lot of people remember that Rotowire used to host leagues uh, back then. Uh, so wow. back in the early 2000s, our, our league was on, and it, it was a points league, and it was on Rotowire back then, and it was a ton of fun. I was introduced to Roto Fantasy Baseball um, about 12 years ago and fell in love with that immediately. Absolutely thought that was great. I'm, I'm still in that league that I got into at that time. Uh, with a bunch of friends, uh, most of which uh, live in Texas. I, I still try to make it back to Texas for that draft every year. And uh, it's an absolute blast. But yeah, that's kind of what got me into it. I I, I was, until I moved to Hawaii, I, I would listen to Sirius XM Fantasy Channel all day, every day, even during football season. I would put up with that just to try to get a little nugget of baseball news. Mm -hmm. um this you know there weren't many pack podcasts yet back at that time and the one podcast i did find when i did some google searches one december because i wanted to hear people talking about baseball uh was lenny melnick's fantasy mm -hmm. baseball site yep. and and then so i listened to it and he would always put the offer out call me if you want to do that i sent lenny an email he called me on the phone next thing i knew where i had a podcast and uh, was writing a little bit for him, and then uh, a couple years later, uh, Pitcher List was put out. Uh, Nick Pollock put out his yearly Pitcher List. We're hiring, and uh, filled out an application. Next thing you know, I'm in a Zoom meeting with Nick. This was because this was 2020. This was everything was shut down at the time. Uh, Zoom meeting with Nick and uh, came on to write. At the time, I had no idea that a Pitcher List was even considering a podcast network. I was just going to write a couple articles here and there, which I enjoy, but I'm not very good at it. Um, <laughs> in the respect that it takes me a long time to write an article. I can't just sit down and knock something out. It, it takes, takes me a long time to write an article. I'm pretty happy with it when I'm finished, but I know other people could do the same thing I do in a tenth the amount of time yeah i feel like that's when <laughs> so, i like try to like do something and like even just do like player notes like as if i'm writing some type of article um just i go backwards and i'm like oh and i see this and i go to another stat and then i go to another stat and i'm like <laughs> all of a sudden you know i'm like what was i writing about yeah I'm just like, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. what was my initial thing you know like i started off with platoon splits and i ended up on you know Park when he was or something born, else. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What's the color of his eyes? Yeah. I don't know that yet. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, then Nick put out uh, put out a, a a form that he was starting a podcast network, and anybody wanted to try out, and he he paired paired people together. And Adam and I were paired for our audition, and when we first talked, we actually had the the same thought about what type of show we would like to do so that's what we did for our audition and uh, nick let us loose told us to go with it and kept us together for the pairing that we had had for the audition for the show and uh it's been an absolute blast wow uh, tryouts! So i absolutely love yeah, it yeah. fantastic 
Yeah, there were, uh, there were, yeah, there were definitely more people trying out than podcasts that made it on the air. Um, and then of the ones that made it in that initial block, it was just a matter of, it was like attrition. Um, like right now, if you go to the picture list network there, I think there's, I think we got about 15 podcasts that are actively putting out pods, uh, both off season and in season, but we had 22 when we started, um, and the network and, you know, things happen, you know, you have different priorities. People go the opposite way than what Kevin was talking about. Like, Hey, you know what? I found out that I like writing better than I like podcasting Yeah, or I like doing something else. And, yeah. uh, but the ones that are on the network now, man, the ones that have made it have been, uh, that have been phenomenal. Yeah. It's very impressive. It's very, it's all different types of categories. Um, you know, so many different angles, so many different stories and topics. And it's, it's awesome because there's so many things about baseball, you know, it's, uh, I know I always have the idea, like, you know, eventually doing like a, just a regular baseball pod, not just fantasy. Cause it's, it's, it's great to just. I had this talk with Ryan Venancio, like we we were talking about how much we we um don't absorb enough of the viewing sometimes because we're such like tuned into um like I watch the game and I'm like, ooh, a Grom slider, like you wanna know how much it broke, you wanna know how fast it was, and then all of a sudden you end up you know, on Fangraft, and or then like you end 10 up on pitches some behind. Yeah, 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 and then all of a sudden, like you know, because I paused, paused, I paused the game just to go look for something, and then um, all of a sudden, I'll get like an alert on my phone, like Pete Alonso hit the home no. run in the fifth in the fifth <laughs> inning, and I look up, I'm like, but I paused it in the second, you know. <laughs> that pause doesn't turn off my notifications. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I should do that too, because you know. Um, but yeah, we can get so like tuned into um, fantasy and and analyzing that sometimes we forget to just like turn it off and just watch baseball, you know. And um, I miss those days where I didn't play fantasy and you just like watched it to like love baseball, not to observe like his, you know, ah, he's chasing again on the slider. He's off my list. He's you know not dabbing him. Just like those thoughts that just dominate my brain. But it's all good. You know, what else is there to think about? <laughs> I, I think I'm a, I think I'm, I, I know I'm not the only one, but I think I'm one of the few that still roots for my team above anything fantasy. Uh, wow. I, yeah. Still a diehard Royals fan. Uh, if, if I have a closer going against the Royals and the Royals are down one in the ninth, I am I am rooting for a blown save. I'm rooting for the Royals to win that game. Now, if there was ever a point late in the season where there was life changing money on the line, two hundred grand we'll, main event overall, you like we'll, not the Royals. That, yeah, that that that's probably the direction that would go. I'm yeah, almost yeah. certain, but yeah, uh, at, at least thus far, everything is like I'm. I'm Royals first, baseball second, fantasy baseball third. As much as I love fantasy baseball and spend so much time at it, uh, I'm a Royals fan and a baseball fan above that. Oh, so we got to make you a T-shirt that says, like, still team, you know, greater than fantasy. <laughs> still yeah. root for the name on the front of the jersey yeah. Yeah, more still, than the one on the back. <laughs> yeah. Still team over uh, fantasy. Like, that's uh Wow. Yeah. It's not, it's not a lot of that left. Everyone just pretty much. It's funny. The calculations will go on in, in, in my head watching a game, right? Because we're greedy, I think, by nature. And I want both things to work out. So 
it'd be nice if this pitcher shuts the Royals out for six, mm. gets me the innings. Mm-hmm. I'll give that win up if the Royals come back and, and, and win after after my pitcher gets out of there and they don't <laughs> they don't do any damage to my ratios, right? Right. Oh, I do that <laughs> all the time. All the time. <laughs> so when all the so when all the weekly podcasts are like talking about like picking up streamers to that face bad teams you know uh, are you are you what do you do if there's a great matchup versus the royals i i unfortunately the last past couple of seasons right it's the right move it's the right make it too i i I make it as well um it's tough sometimes uh probably don't do it enough out out of my fandom at times uh and then lots of times it swings the other way uh especially when it comes to constructing my fantasy teams i think i steer away from royals at at least the ones that are that are higher priced because i don't want the double whammy Mm -hmm. Uh, i don't Mm -hmm. want bad performance hurting me both ways um so I, I, I've had very few share. I mean, this was the first season that it, that it worked out in a long time, but I've never had Whit Merrifield on many teams at all. Uh, love rooting for the guy. And he was amazing for a good three, four years. Uh, I didn't have him on my fantasy teams and I was fine with that. Um, there are others. I have, uh, I have had Mondesi more than once uh, when he's went mm-hmm. out for large yeah. portions of time. It happened, but I think in general, I'm I probably roster less Royals than I would if I was not a fan. Interesting, very interesting. And I mean, I got to think Hamondesi too. His his dad was like one of my favorite players growing up. We had front row, um, a, a good friend of ours had front row to the Shea Stadium, like four four boxes, four seat box right on the third base side, and. A lot of times he just couldn't go or couldn't tell it. So we would just go. And I remember Mondesi um, as a rookie, you know, and me and my brothers were big collectors, cards, you know, autographs. We were always looking for stuff like that, going to Fan Fest and anything we can just be involved with baseball. And we've seen this guy throwing lasers from right field to third base, you know, standing flat-footed, wasn't stepping, just throwing missiles like stand i'm like and he was just so stacked and my brother's like oh that that's the kid mondesi and um i just watched him throw a guy out at second throw a guy out at home and then like hit a triple it was just like blazing speed and it's like wow this guy's he was like one of my favorite non-mets you know to watch um and he signed he signed everything um i remember him like first couple of years he would always spend time in the dugout like after he stretched and everything just signing autographs so you get a big bonus for that you know when growing up that's all you could ask for like when you just could you real like i guess now i appreciate it more because i realize how how bad people can be <laughs> and just like you know like they he was they were just very forthcoming and um big bonus point big bonus point um, so you guys are both on the NFBC now, getting getting your leagues on. What is your favorite format to play in? Adam, you go first. I'll I'll, I'll direct this because there we go. <laughs> every time I have two people on, I forget that I have to choose because there's always like uh you know there's always a moment of silence. So I was gonna say I I was I'm looking forward I was looking forward better. to this pod because I wasn't gonna have to host. It's been, it's been uh it's <laughs> okay, been nice. so I won't let you host. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. Um, I think I, I think I've come to the realization. Um, I, I really like 
the I really like the 15s, so I really like the DCs in general. Um, and then the Glarf League um that I'm in, in part of the earth, and then obviously TGFBI. I haven't done I haven't dipped my toes in the main event yet. Not gonna be this year either, if anything, maybe in the future, but I really enjoy them for the just the fact that it's obviously a lot deeper. There's obviously a lot more nuance to it, mm-hmm. uh, but I definitely do better um, in the, in my 12 teamers, both the fab leagues. So we do our listen um, on the wire listener leagues. There's 12 teamers. They're set up just the same way as the online championships are um, between those and even the NFBC 50s. Um, I'm in my first 50 draft right now. And I, I just historically, if you look back at, I mean, you can look up anybody on NFBC and see how they've done uh, the 12 teamers that I've been in. I've done a lot better in, um, and I'm ironically, I'm less active in those, in those leagues. Um, so in the fab leagues, I'm, <laughs> we have this conversation at the end of every season. I feel like Kevin, um, I've got like over, you know, $250 left in fab entering September sometimes. Because I've just not that I'm not active, like I'm still looking for stuff, um, but I'm I'm finding that I'm not spending as much. I'm not streaming as much um, in in those formats, at least not in the last two years. Uh, And it, it, you know, mostly it has come back to at least get me to cash in, in a good majority of those leagues. So. Nice. Um, I'll have majority of 12 teamers this year. Um, I've done a DC. I'll probably do one more. Um, and I've done a bunch, I've done three gladiators. Obviously those are 15s, but you know, only 23, uh, rounds. Um, and, uh, it, but I mean, Kevin, we have, we have pre-registered, uh, 10 leagues in our listener leagues, uh, wow. which is double of what we had last year. Nice. And there's a possibility we open one or two more up. Um, and so we'll, I won't be in all 10 of them, <laughs> uh, probably be in about six out of 10 and Kevin will do the ones that I'm, I'm not in, uh, but that'll be a good majority of my portfolio for going into 2023. I think. That's awesome. And, um, I want to hear what Kevin said, and I want to ask you guys about like how, how drafting a fab league, this like, like early, you know, how it affects maybe when it gets closer to the season, but Kevin, what kind of leagues are, um, your favorite to play? I, I like any roto leagues. It uh, doesn't mm-hmm. matter if it's a DC. Uh, I I tend to prefer 15s over 12s, but this past season, like Adam, I perform, or had better results in, in the 12s. Uh, I, I enjoy going deeper into the player pool. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's uh, uh, still for me. I think fantasy baseball uh, is fun is why I play. Yeah, you know, it, it's great if we can make a little bit of money winning some leagues, cashing in some leagues. That's amazing. But it, it it's still about fun for me. And so going deeper into the player pool for me is more fun than than the shallower leagues. Um I yeah, uh I I have done best balls in the past um and enjoy those, but any of the roto formats and in general i prefer auctions um i like adam i haven't done a main event uh but i have done the auction championship the last two years uh that was my i was gonna make that leap in uh 2020 uh, uh las vegas was canceled for obvious reasons and uh mm-hmm. so i i i 
I don't like doing online auctions. And so ironically, uh, this is probably going to be my first season in the main event. Uh, my Ooh. wife has a work conference going on. Uh, she's going to be out of the country during Las Vegas weekend. And I was going to try to figure that out with our daughter and do something. And, you know, no, nope, I think I'm just going to stay home, hang out with our daughter and uh, jump in uh, a main event, do it online. Uh, because I'd rather do that online than do an auction online, even though I prefer the auctions in person. So going to make that jump this year. Uh, pretty excited about that because I'm about 90% sure that's what's going to happen. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. But any Roto League, uh, I enjoy points leagues and category leagues as well, but I, I really enjoy the Roto. Yeah, I I I love Roto too. Um, have like my home leagues are head to head which is cool. Gives me a nice yeah. little break from it. And that's been like a forever thing. Um, no one wants to change it. And I'm, I'm cool with that. I, I like the, I like the different, uh, I feel like playing in different formats helps you get better. Um, I always felt that way. Every time I tried something different, it gave me a different idea of the player pool, different idea of replacement level. What's whatever, just trying to find out what, how to win each kind of league just made me overall better as a player, better assessing player evaluations, everything. Um, and even when best ball really, you know, started to get big, I really enjoyed doing them. Um, I will probably do one uh, like I did last year. Two years ago, I was like more heavily involved with the best ball, but I just really loved the in-season management. Um, it's why I started playing, you know, because it just gives you that, you know, um, ability, you know, it's like when we played video games, you know, like we, we made teams, we made seasons and we did drafts. We, we wanted some sort of control that we can't get from, you know, um, anything else, like just being able to do that. So that's why I like the in-season management and Roto is, um, is awesome. I always tell the story, like my, the first time I played in a Roto league by myself, I split a team with my brother, a while ago but my first alone roto league they have um they have a you get money for a second half improvement and it's points it's not standing this actual who gained the most points and i was I think in 11th um out of 14 teams it was a weird league very strange no al east i mean no nl west or al west really odd it was made in the 80s and you know they couldn't get those stats but they never changed it they just said hey let's just keep playing it um like this so um but anyway um i gained like 11 points and i was actually you know i went up to sixth place i think or fifth and I actually you know made a plan and this is the categories that i can gain the most points in and let's do it and it I executed it it was like it was such a great feeling like coming in middle of the pack never felt better um <laughs> you know like it was like wow cool like I actually did that and this is like a paid transaction league so every move you made it was seven bucks into the pot so we had guys who usually at the top of the leagues who were aggressive because they knew like all right well also I'm in the money so I'll just keep paying up for um and it was fun but um i always loved that that's how i really that year like that's it roto is it this is this is my thing i'm gonna love this uh 
down the road. But um, yeah, fantasy is just fantasy is awesome. So many different uh ways to love it. So when you guys do your twelve teams versus your fifteen team leagues, what is your like? What's the biggest thing that you use to like adjust player ranks? such like that. And also if you could tie it into uh, like, how do you guys usually rank your players um, use like a projection system or do you use like more of a skills based type of uh, approach? Kevin, you go first this time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's a combination for me. I, I am, I am learning to trust projections more and more uh, and not, and I'm not saying I just, pick one projection system and put blind faith in it. But um, once I, I take a, a few of the different uh, projections out there, uh, adjust playing time to, if, if I think that is uh, warranted, uh, that's typically about the only thing I will change. I, I'll, I'll take a set of projections, put them in a spreadsheet, put it on a per plate appearance basis. And that way, all I have to do is change the the plate appearances to see how that affects the projections. That, that's, that's the first thing I do. I also am big. I also like the skills based, right? Uh, Ron Chandler's Babs. I've been a fan of that for years. I still look at that. I mean, I'm, I'm typically uh, focusing on uh, projections once I get them, uh, adjusted for the playing time that, that I like. Uh, but I still look at Babs. Okay. Who's the guy similar to this? You know, that's usually what I'm mm -hmm. looking for, for my late picks, right? There, there's always some guys, you know, uh, the one that sticks out in my mind is for years, Ron was telling us in his Babs that, that Brandon belt was an elite power hitter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, it was ballpark and injuries. And then we saw that a couple of years ago. It yep. finally came to fruition. Uh, so that's the kind of things I look at uh, on as far as skills based. Uh, and lots of times it'll be, you know, injuries. It's kind of comes back again to, to playing time in many instances. Uh, but that that's really how I get started. And um, I'm learning to trust those more and more. Once I get the playing time tweaked to where I want it. And if, if there's another reason I want to make adjustments to a projections, I, 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 I dig deep and try to make sure that that's not already accounted for in the projection. And in mm -hmm. most cases it is. Yeah. So I think that's where we get in trouble when we start it, when we're, we're doing our own player evaluations and saying, okay, I think I like this guy a little more than projections. Why? Because mm -hmm. that's probably in the projections. So uh, that's that's what I'm learning to uh, trust that process more and more. And not, I still got guys I like. We all do. We still, you know, I'm still going to draft Alberto Mondesi in a league or two this year. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> but uh, it, it's uh, it's kind of a. In general, I try to look at as much information as possible, but but when it comes down to it, I like to have uh, projections adjusted for playing time that, that I see fit and then kind of go from there. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm on the same way as far as the projections go. I, I put a lot of trust into the projections that I trust. 
Um, you know, Ariel Cohen puts out his article every year where he compares uh, how the projections did. Um, I think he just, I think he just posted it recently as well for last year. Um, but I, I mean, I'll put a lot of faith in the ones that I feel take into account, like Kevin said, like they take into account the most information. Um, and so the bad X is usually right up there. Um, ATC obviously is right up there because it's literally taking into consideration what everybody's taking into consideration um, already. And then, and then adjust it based on their success rates, really. Uh, I mean, Ariel will never tell us his secret sauce, but I mean, that's pretty much the synopsis of, you know, how ATC gets put together. Um, and playing time is the one, I mean, just, I'm just echoing a lot of stuff Kevin just said, but like playing, playing time is the thing that it's like every, every um, projection system either struggles with or doesn't have an exact science as to what they're plugging into it. Either they're plugging in playing time that somebody else has come up with, or they're, I mean, they're guessing and sure there's some guesses that they can make based on injuries or, you know, the, the platoon roles that they're assuming or whatnot, but they don't know. I mean, you can't, you can't predict injuries um, and you don't know what the manager is going to do preseason unless they come out and announce it and then actually hold themselves accountable for what they said they're going to do. Um, and so that's the one area in which I put my most of my knowledge or my research into is, well, what's this guy actually going to do? How much is he going to play? Um, and when he's in those situations, um, you know, what can he do with it? And so I have to trust the projections that are already taking into the skill, taking into account the skills, the underlying numbers, stuff like that. And, run with that to the best of my knowledge. And we also have to understand that every single projection system is a, you know, a, the most common, um, what could happen in the most common scenarios. You roll a dice 10 times. It's the number seven. You know I mean? It's the one that comes up the most often. Of course they can outperform. Of course they can underperform. Um, but you know, what kind of volatility they're going to have in those. Um, I think that's the question I have the most when I'm looking at these projections as well. Um, but as far as ranking players, I mean, I, I feel like I rank players as I draft. Um, and it really depends. Kevin and I did a <laughs> Kevin and I did a pod, um, not our pod, we guessed it on a pod where we had to debate um building, you know, ro- roster constr- considering roster construction or taking best player available and which one was more important. Um, and obviously roster construction should be the answer to that yeah um i i was tasked with arguing against that um and i think i did a pretty good job kevin <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> i lost <laughs> the yeah. argument rightfully so um but like my rankings of players will go up and down throughout the draft based on what i've already like it's common sense it's like if you pick pete alonzo in the second round every other first baseman drops in your rankings. Simple as that, unless uh, you get to a point where you want to double dip for your corner or you want to build your roster in a certain specific way. Um, but it also, it's going to, it's also going to determine what stats I'm getting out of these guys. I mean, again, right. you draft Pete Alonzo in the second round, you know, everybody else who can give me a modicum amount of stolen bases is probably taking a bump up. Um, they're going to become more important to me as I, as I go out throughout the draft. So I might, bump up Jorge Mateo, regardless of what his playing time looks like it's going to be later on in the draft. Um, I might bump up CJ Abrams, even though, you know, whatever. Um, and so I think that those rankings are incredibly fluid based on the format that you're playing in 
the time of year that you're drafting in um, and what round you're in in your draft as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that, uh, I think everyone has the different approaches, you know, to how they, how they do it in, in the draft. And um, I just recently was listening to the guilds on Bubba's podcast um, who, uh, yeah, he just won the um, online championship overall and, he took Alonzo and then he said he had no plans on taking Goldschmidt with Alonzo, but it was at such a, it was that like oh, 80 sure. or whatever, you yeah, know, and like he late he, sixth round. Yeah. Yeah. I and he's talking like, about I just, that. just made, because I had to make that choice to just say, yeah, like uh, I'll worry about having another corner or first baseman earlier. And, you know, those are the like decisions you can make in draft that could really just, you know, change the outcome of a season. I'm, I'm, I'm very, I'm very rigid, you know, like that. It's for me to, I can notice something like that that's available, but it's just, I have like a predetermined path. And sometimes it's just like my brain struggles with not going the path, especially if the path has already been established and like, okay, this is what I wanted to do. And, but, and then you have this possibly, you know, greater value in front of you with a different player that you quote unquote may not need. Um, so I have to learn to get more, more fluid, you know, and be able to bend with the draft a little more. Um, yeah, so there was a lot of stuff in there. Like, I definitely love the BAB system that Ron Chandler does. It definitely it's just a quick way to identify some. Uh, I think it's I get the most out of it by looking at those groups and seeing the different, you know, um, like a similar attribute in players and helped me with um, it was like first. Uh, like Corbin Burns in his bad year going into, uh, you know, 2020, I had picked him. He was part of my overall draft champions team. You know, he, I got him at like pick 480 or 470, you know, but he was a guy identified like I wanted on every team because he was up there in a big, like a similar skill set of, mm-hmm. of, of good, of great pitchers. Um, and actually Jose Ramirez was my first ever, like bad find in that in that draft I was telling you guys about my first roto league. It was a keeper league for four keep four guys. And um we had a reserve round draft and Babs was like, he got sneaky power. It's coming. You know, he's got great contact but and the power could be there. And uh, I picked him up for like 50 cents and hit like whatever 16 homers. It wasn't a full breakout, but it was like, okay, he's this guy is good. He got speed, he contact, he might have a little power. And, you know, just having him for like a dollar and then five bucks, you know, for the next couple of years would just really <laughs> help me when he blew up. It's just a great find. Um, but yeah, I like using that and trying to use it and, you know, I'll try to use it in tandem with SGP as much as I can or in, in a projection. It just because obviously if the, if, if the skills are matching her projections, it's just a bonus, you know, like, okay, so this kind of makes sense both ways. Um, but in terms of the playing time, you guys said you adjusted. So like, what gives you the most, is it more like looking at the overall depth chart and saying, um, you know, this is the reason, or is it like, you know, platoon, like OPS versus a platoon, like first left-handed and stuff like that. Like, how do you kind of gauge where do you think you could move those numbers to? Adam. I, I mean, I think initially um, it's just, it's the most, for me, it's the most simplest stuff. It's like where are they batting in the batting order? 
Um, and then who else? Yeah, who's on the bench that's going to actually fight for playing time at that position? Like, uh, like I mean, Andrew Benintendi is a good example of. I mean, I don't know if we'll hit on him later on. Um, as far as a free agent, he's going to a spot where he's going to be batting second in that lineup. Um, you know, it, the, that matters a whole lot more than if he had gone somebody else that that had a much more loaded lineup that would have pushed him down to like seventh, you know, sixth or seventh in the lineup. Uh, he's just going to gain that extra that extra playing time and that extra, you know, those plate appearances that we all covet um, mm-hmm. that um, I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit as well. Um, so batting order and then, I mean, tendencies of your manager. I mean, you've got, uh, I'm going to stick with the White Sox here. It's like you have what, you know, what we saw Tony La Russa do with a good chunk of his team and he has certain tendencies of where he's going to play them. And he did things. How often, uh, <laughs> he had thoughts, um, he had th- and he acted on them, <laughs> supposedly. Um, uh, but I mean, we we talk about it all the time with Kyle Tucker. It's like, how good is this guy, and why is he stuck in the six hole? Everybody wants him up um, in the top two of that lineup, obviously for the extra plate appearances and getting that extra production um, at, from a percentage standpoint. So lineup is is huge, and then yeah, who are you know looking at the rest of the roster to see who's actually going to try to compete with them, not only just for platoon advantage, but like who could bump them out of a spot in the lineup, who could just cut into their playing time even once a week, um, and if that doesn't really exist, um, then you start to question obviously health, and if they don't have a clear obvious you know concern in that area, then you can start determining hey is. 600 plate appearances the norm like it should they be going even above that um based on their skill set so uh i, I think the looks like i'm looking at is pretty, pretty straightforward yeah he, he you mentioned kyle tucker i don't know if you guys have the baseball forecast that the baseball hq puts out so wonderfully every year but there's a new like um ed decario it's like a new playing time dive and it's really fascinating overall probably one of the best things I've I've read in a while in terms of assessing, you know, just availability. And um, you know, it, it goes through um, you know, active starts per week, um, how, you know, plate appearances per active week. It's just a really good overall glimpse on playing time and um her production in that playing time. And just got guys who are available all the time and played every day just got a little bit of a knock because of spot in the lineup or weak offense. Um, and Tucker was in that group, you know, because he's just, like you said, he's stuck behind that. Even if it's a great lineup, you know, batting fifth and six, it's just, uh, it, it, it takes its toll on the overall numbers, but it also, it's easy to point out some guys who maybe, you know, are playing a lot and you haven't realized that every time they're healthy, they're in that they're it's a quick way of not having to go through some platoon split and stuff like that. And um but yeah. Um Kevin, how are you going through the playing time things uh and adjusting? Yeah, like with Adam, the first thing I'm looking at is spot in the the lineup, the lineup position. That that's the first thing because it's I remember the year Jonathan VR left Baltimore. Um, I, I I think a lot of us were fairly certain to to start that next season that Hanser Alberto w- was going to lead off at least against lefties and 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 maybe more often. 
and his plate appearances weren't I, I noticed his, his plate appearances weren't reflecting that they were uh, he had hit ninth all season, the season prior and the plate appearances he was projected for in the number of games matched him still hitting ninth. I was like, Whoa, we can't do this. We know he's leading off at least a third of the time, maybe more often. That's, that's, that's when I stumbled across it was that, that situation that's only been two or three years ago. Uh, so this is something that's fairly new, but that is most definitely, uh, the first thing I look at and, and then the rest of it is, I, I mean, we're, we're all guessing we really are, uh, some of us, we, we can make more educated guesses in some instances than others. Uh, but it, but it really is, uh, a, a guess. Uh, I, I think that's why I'm pretty sure, uh, Adam brought up the bat X earlier as, as one of the projection systems. I think we all pay attention to, uh, but Derek doesn't project playing time. He gets that from other people. Doesn't even mess with it. And I am certain one of the reasons is in the few conversations I've been fortunate enough to, to have with Derek is uh, I'm certain it's because he probably believes that it's a guess there. there there's not uh, uh, he can't, he can't just put, numbers to it in a scientific way you know what i mean yeah so he he's getting them from other people so i, I think it really is a get other than lineup position um and and it's the case um i i noticed this more in dynasty leagues i played in or an al only league i played in at, at one time it's it's not just kansas city royals that i know more about than other teams it's also other al central teams because i watch every royals game so I see the other AL Central teams play quite often. So I, I think a lot of it comes just from watching games. Eh, maybe you don't notice it in the box scores yet. We're looking at the past 30 days or a year to date so far and things. And we're looking and it takes a while when guys start increasing or decreasing in playing time for it really to be reflected if we're just looking at those numbers. But if you're watching games and you're seeing, oh, wow, uh, this is a bad example because this won't happen. But, oh, wow, Jock Peterson's starting versus a versus a lefty today. You know, you, you might not notice that if you're just looking at the stats uh, in hindsight. So uh, I think it, it seeing games uh, helps in that aspect. Ah, this guy's going to play a little more than we think or more than the projections think. Uh, but in, in general, it, it's usually lineup position. Nice. Yep. That's a great, that's a great way to try to get a leg up on, you know, anything that you see off. It just like, like have to be right. You could really, you could really get screwed if you're, if you're hands Alberto, man. He's oh, man. What was it last year? <laughs> or the year before where I had so many shares of him on DC. He was, multi-eligible you know and like one of those stabs you take at the at the end of the draft where this guy might work i might need him for two periods i and think it what... was 2020 that it worked out if if that was the year he yep. had a pretty pretty good year yep yep that's the um that's my favorite part of one of my favorite parts of fantasy especially draft champions just the one guy that you take that you use for maybe i don't know 18 at bats, but he does just what you need 
you know, hit you two homers, even if it's one. And you're like, oh, great. That's exactly what I needed you for. You plugged in and, 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 um, that was it, you know, uh, it leads to, good and when stuff. it happens on Monday or Tuesday, you're like, I don't care what you do the rest of the week. Yeah. <laughs> hey, yep. Thank you. We're good. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So, um, I actually never got around to, um, getting onto the 12 verse 15. Like what's your biggest thing when you're adjusting player values or maybe your opposed approach to your draft, um, in general, Adam. I mean, I think the, in general, I mean, I'm, I'll take way more risks in a 12 than I will in a 15. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's a pretty common approach. Um, but I, I also tend to find myself um, loading up on, on pitchers earlier um, mm-hmm. in a 12, which I think is probably the less so of the mainstream uh, thought process. Um, and I don't really have a good reason for it per se, except for the fact that I really want to be able to, you know, if I have the opportunity to kind of like, really you know kind of dominate a certain area um in a in a shallower format that's going to be the area because there's i mean there's three less teams so all these position players are getting spread out and the talent level on the on the hitting side is going to be um, a little bit more spread out based on positions so i focus on the other half of my roster um, that only literally has one position <laughs> on it. Uh, there's only, you know, nine letter P's on, on that roster. So, um, I mean, we're, we're going to talk about it later, but like, I'm, you know, I find like, so, so far I've done not counting gladiators. I've done three twelves and a 15. And uh, I mean, I've, I've had anywhere between three and five starters by the 10th round. Um, in my 12s, as opposed to in my one DC, I didn't pick a starter until round nine. Uh, and so I find myself kind of pushing, pushing that aspect of my roster a little bit, a little bit heavier earlier on in those 12s. Um, and then I'll also you know, like, I'll pick Chris sale in a, at, at ADP in a 12, but I wouldn't pick Chris sale at ADP in, in a 15, just because more than likely Chris sale is going to be my SP I think he ended up, he ended up being my like SP five or six in mm-hmm. this twelve, and he'll he, at that point in the draft he's probably my SP three um, in in most of my fifteen. So I mean I'm, I'm not ready to have that kind of a risk in my SP uh, three, um, especially if I took any kind of risk with in my, with my one and two. So um, I'll take a lot more risk only because more than likely they're a little bit further down my depth chart um on my on my 12 teamers um so that's usually that's a general sense of how i'm focusing on my 12 teamers interesting and that's for um fab and for draft and holds too like like a similar approach for both yeah absolutely i mean especially in the first half of of a 50 um i'll take more risk in my first half um i'll pretty much take the same risk um in the second half in a 50 as i would a uh dc um for the most part but uh, in my fabs, absolutely. Like, <laughs> I yeah. I think I I drafted like um you know two. I'll drop especially in these fab leagues that Kevin and Via have done already. Um, pre you know New Year's, uh, I think I I think I have like four or five stashes in on my bench that it's just more of a dice roll to see what's going to happen by opening day. There's so much time in between now and then. Um, and I don't mind spending a couple extra dollars um, in the first fab run to kind of reset or retool my roster. 
and I don't think it's, you know, it's not going to take much out of me, especially based on my history in fab, where I'm not spending a whole lot throughout the course of the season. Um, I feel like I'm going to probably spend a lot more in the first week to you know, one to three weeks of fab this year than I have in the past. Hey, Kevin. Yeah, it, for me, it's very similar. And uh, I think I, I I definitely go more pitching heavy in 12s. Um, and I, I know the percentage is the same. I know when you go from 15 teams to 12 teams, you're, you're only the player pool is only 80%, right? That that's the same for both position players and hitters. But when we're talking hitters, we're talking from 210 hitters to 168 hitters. So we're talking in the what early 300s of a overall ADP, probably those types of players for hitters. And I think that our uh, opinions vary greatly and there's, there's opportunities there uh, that probably aren't there at least as, as prevalent as the pitchers because in pitchers we're cutting from 135 down to 108. And if we say just starting pitching, then we're cutting that down even more. So we're talking in the top 200 there's still more of a general consensus on players. Uh, it's harder to grab the ones that you do want in that range. And also when constructing a team, and I bring this up sometimes with, with ADP, when, especially when we first start drafting 12-team fab leagues, right? We're using draft champions ADP typically because it's roto ADP, not the cut line ADP. And now this year, not the gladiator ADP uh, with, with so much more emphasis on playing time in those leagues. Uh, I think typically we look at draft champions ADP for fab leagues when they first get going. And I, I think one of the keys is not just making the same list and moving the, the round cutoff from 15 to every 12 players, right? I don't think a player necessarily with a 45 ADP is automatically now a fourth rounder in a 12 team league when he's the end of a third rounder in a 15 team league, especially if depending on how you want to construct your roster, right? I, I'm not going to wait till the fourth round because I think, that's where he's going in ADP, even if I could count on the ADP. No, maybe I want to fill this category or this position, grab a starting pitcher in the third round, and I'm going to take who I think is the best starting pitcher available in that round rather than there's going to be other players higher than him in ADP, but it's going to be because the different number of players per round in the different types of drafts. So I think your roster construction uh, changes that drastically when we're looking at a 15-team ADP from draft champions drafting a 12-team Fab League. Uh, it, it especially comes into play with that starting pitching for me. I'm typically still going to take my pitchers in the same rounds, and it, and it, it's kind of worked out for me. It means I, I have better pitching staffs. So I'm taking pitchers earlier. Um, it. it Relative to 15-team leagues, I'm taking pitchers earlier, even if it's roughly the same. Uh, 
I, I'm taking them in the same round rather than at the same ADP. So they're so I'm picking them earlier, uh, mm -hmm. a little bit, and so I end up with stronger pitching stabs. And and like I said, it works out because the hitters we're talking about at the end, we're talking about you know after 300 ADP for these starting pitchers, we're talking in, inside the top 200. Um, you you don't like looking at the 50 ADP to like keep it with like a 12 team kind of thing you like to just once do more your... of them are done yeah i'll look at yeah at, at all of them once more leagues are completed but right, yeah. typically this year's a little different with all the gladiators that have been done but typically yeah, you really have we, to filter when we start the... drafting other types of leagues the yeah. or the only adp we really have is uh from the dcs because i i filter out we don't want the cut line adp mixed in there right uh, being a different scoring system yeah because yeah, really I... I'd venture to guess. I, I think we talked about this too, both, and I'm seeing people talk about it on Twitter as far as those gladiators cutting into uh, the DCs on the NFBC platform. Like we were having, we were struggling with uh, finding ADP from DCs from like mid mid uh, November into mid December. Like I think in in the first couple of weeks of December, there had only been like two DCs uh, completed. And I know that's caught up, and it's fine. I didn't look into it, but I would venture to guess that if anything, it probably cut into the fifties more so just because of the price point was the same, same price point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I actually don't have a saved 50, um, um, ADP from, I saved the, the draft champion ADP from like certain months. Um, just cause I like to look at early ADP, like early drafting. So I wanted to have something to look back on. So I saved, you know, um, October through December from last year. Um, because then it changes, you know, I feel like, oh yeah, you know, a lot of different kind of drafters come into it. And um, so like to be able to compare it to, and just also to see like, if anyone has risen, you know, I know some people even like save it by the day, you know, so they're like actually seeing, you know, and then they try to, you know, know who people are drafting. I, you know, I people think, or, you know, like a person. Yeah. A person, <laughs> you know, I just, I like that. I like having some ammo, but at the same time, I, I have enough to worry about with my team, you know? <laughs> sure. Like, there's, there, there, there's enough in this brain about my team and, and, and what I want to do. Like, I can't worry about what everyone else tends to do either, you know? Just, uh, there's not enough brain space for all that. It really isn't. At least I don't have enough <laughs> of it, you know? Um, yeah, 12 and 15 are fun. It definitely... Um, something that you have to be cognizant of as you're in the leagues, you know, um, my first venture into 12 team Roto was in the online championship. Then it's, uh, I held on to guys too long, you know, um, held on to like the Ian Haps of the world two years ago where he was, he was okay. At a 15, you wouldn't drop him, but in a 12 it was like, you know, he, you just talk to just, I just reached out to like, players who are consistently good in the OCs, like John Posma, Hall of Famer. And he's like, you got to get rid of guys like that. You know, you just, you have to keep them in and out of your lineup as much as you like them. There's, there's, there's better stats out there. And I was like, yeah, you're right. You know, it's just, um, you, you have to go through it. You have to like really catch yourself being behind and wondering why, you know, and um, so, but I've gotten better with that. And last year too, uh, um, I did pretty good in my OCs, like had three teams and all of them came in the top 10 and played appearances, which is pretty wild. 
I don't think really even trying to do that. I I have to do a full dive into my fab picks, um, like fab stats versus like drafted stats. That's something I want to look into to my fab teams before I start my fab drafting. And um, I really wasn't trying to maximize streaming. I just had like a team that was just fully healthy a lot, and just um, but I wanted to have heavy pitching uh, like you guys mentioned but i got it mostly from like the middle rounds i had um there was some times where i went early too but my goal was to try to have you know five or six good options from like rounds four to you know 15 and not have to go to the well and stream in 12 just pick my spot okay like if it's a good guy and I have some money left and, you know, I'll stream that spot if my matchups aren't great, but not look to do it all the time. And, uh, you know, it worked out well, but it's the constant battle for 12s. It's just to know when it's time to dump and just, and run with a, a new guy. Um, yeah, in, the, in those 12s. I mean, it's, I think what a lot of people probably uh, struggle with is seeing their dropping a guy and then seeing somebody else pick him up and doing well on somebody else's team. Yeah. I think what people need to realize, <laughs> especially in a 12, it's actually, it's pretty easy to get your guy back. Like, yeah, exactly. especially in these week long fabs on the NFBC, it's like you drop your guy, nobody can have him for a week. And so everybody's on the same uh, kind of wavelength when it comes to the next week's fab. He's just another guy in in the fab run, and it's like you you can spend money too. You can. It's not like you can't pick them back up mm-hmm. um, if that's the case. So I think that leaving that like you only have so many bench spots. It's like you let the let the waiver wire be an extra bench spot as right. well. Yep, I had um, I, one one of my fifties. I think ended up coming fourth or fifth overall, um, and. It was one of those drafts where I was like, I'm going to try something really wild, you know, and um, I'm going to draft just a team full of pitching studs, you know, like almost like the road. Yes. Yeah. Almost like the Dalton Del Don, but not full, not full Del Don. Um, and it was great. Like I, I got Cole in the first and I got the Grom in the second. And then I took Bieber in the third. And then I was like, I really... My other thing was, too, is anyone I picked um, offensively in that was going to be catchers. My goal was to try to get Sal P and JTR, and I did. Got them sandwiched around Aaron Judge at, you know, pick 56. I never had, like, every draft to look back on this offseason, I'm like, I never had a draft where my top 10 picks were just amazing. Like, after JTR with Edmund, then Cease, and then Darvish, you know? Um, I was just like, wow. I I look back and I'm like, you can't. <laughs> It, it was just no, like I, I was this. This was fun. It um, I didn't draft saves, which kind of killed me in the overall. I had, um, I think I had, I think I came in fourth when my my percentile finish in save was like sixteen. Like, that's how good my off like everything yeah, else did. That, that, yep. Yeah, that the saves were so bad, and I was still able to come that high. It was like something like I figured out, like maybe ten. 10 more saves would have got me the oh, win, you know? Um, but hey, it was the route I took. Uh, that was like uh, Dylan Floro and Kitridge and um, and Maddie Bond. Uh, oh, I was geez. like, I'll punt and go late, and the late didn't work, you know? That's what happens sometimes, you know? I mean, that's the way you're going to live. Um, so I, I think when we're when we're talking this difference between 15 and 12s and, and then even shallower leagues and non-F, 
in FPC formats, the shallower the league, I think in general, the harder it is not to pay attention to the names. You, you, you made a, a comment a, a couple of minutes ago, Rob, about just looking at the stats. And I, I think we're, we're more apt to do that in deeper leagues when the shallower a league gets, I think we get hung up on like Ian Hap. It's only a 12 mm-hmm. to a, a 15 to a 12 team league. I'm not going to drop Ian Hap. Um, and, and it goes the other way too. It goes for picking guys up uh, a couple of years ago when Hunter Renfro was still in Boston and I'm writing the fab article every week and I'm looking at these, the, the, the percentages of roster ship and, Hunter Renfro was like 15% rostered in Yahoo leagues. And I understand there's only three outfielders in 10 team leagues, but he was top 20 in all five categories, including batting average. So he was like literally a five category contributor before stolen, not stolen bases, excuse me four, and he was, you know, 85% available. Uh, I think we're, we get kind of hung up on at the time, you know, you know, he wasn't a name. He was a platoon bat, but he wasn't platooning, you know, you know, I think we get caught up and we think just by looking at a name, we know what's going on without looking at the numbers. And I think that becomes more prevalent. The, the shallower a league goes, uh, we think we can just look at names and know what, know who we want. Uh, and the deeper leagues kind of force us to look at the stats we're getting from them. And um, it, 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 it really works if we, <laughs> if we pay more attention to that in, in the twelves and even shallower leagues as well. Right. Yes. And I know, um, you know, when your recent guest, Joe, Joe Rico does wonderful work over at sports ethos. Um, he, you know, he, he made a comment like, um, and I respect what Joe says and he, but he made a comment like in in the more shallower home leagues, like he doesn't really worry about projections or volume in the week. And I actually kind of really disagree with that because I kind of think like the more shallow of a league you're in, if you're in a 10 team league with three outfielders, right? Every team's going to be a little better than each other versus a 15 team league. So your edges come in the volume, you know, because you, right, so we're on the same level talent-wise. The replacement level out there is pretty much what you have on your team. It's just then it turns into maximization, you know, um, because that's your edge. I feel like one one extra game, you know, how many leagues have we even come down to, like, where you're like, fucking one run. Like, I would have came in second if one run, you know. And obviously, maybe Joe was talking about head-to-head league, but I feel the same thing about head-to-head leagues. Like, if I could just crush – like runs and ribbies just by streaming or getting maximization. Um, I think I said that maximization, like really that's a word. Yeah, sure. Maximization. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I was, yeah. And you know, actually um, you know, I, you guys had a nice healthy plate appearance um, debate too. And in, innings pitched. And now Kevin, you said that we've gone too far. Yeah, the I, max- think in, I think in some cases we have. Yeah, uh, I think it's it's overblown. I I mean I think like everything, uh, I think fantasy baseball just just like the leagues themselves. I think it's 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 copycat, right? Everything's a copycat league now, and it it was 
it was one of these things that worked great uh, when a few people were doing it. It won them leagues. Uh, and now I think it when there there's there's still still value to maximizing plate appearances and innings pitched. I I, I still believe that. Uh, and especially in in-season management, I'm still all about maximizing plate appearances and innings pitched. I, 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 maybe I wasn't clear enough on this, uh, when we talked about it on, on our show, I, I'm talking more about in draft season. I think we're there and it's something we can use to our advantage. I think there's value to be had in guys that aren't projected uh, and this goes back to trusting the projections, uh, like we talked earlier. When 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 you run an auction calculator, that playing time should already be factored in. So if somebody is a top ten player at their position, with that figured in, uh, they're typically still lower in ADP than some of the guys right below them that uh, that will have more projected plate appearances well that's a great opportunity one it's a value and two with your in-season management there's going to be weeks where you do sit them and replace them with somebody with more volume so i i think uh, especially it, it's more so in draft season where i think that the uh emphasis on playing time uh, not playing i shouldn't say playing time but on plate appearances and innings pitched uh, for guys that are going to have regular playing time, I, I think we might be overblowing it a little bit, uh, mostly during draft season. So, like uh, when, so like what, what, what round are you willing to sacrifice a perceived um, edge in skills over? I don't know. Like, if there's a hundred plate appearance difference, like is that something you do even early in the draft where you just like it doesn't matter to you? Yeah, I don't think it should matter. Uh, one, one example, uh, I still have my notes here for when we did the show. Uh, Jock Peterson is an easy one because we know about his platoon splits, right? Uh, uh, he's the 47th outfielder uh, if you run the auction calculator with steamer projections. 56th in ADP. Um, but his, his projection is for less plate appearances. So... Steamer believes he's the 47th best outfielder, and that's if you're leaving him in your lineup 100% of the time. Uh, his ADP is 56. He's already better than that. And if there's uh, half a week in NFBC formats where they're facing a couple of lefties or it's a, a two-game first half of the week and one of them's a lefty, we're putting somebody in Jock Peterson's spot so we can outperform that even with our in-season management, but as a, at a draft price, he's coming at a discount and the, the lack of plate appearances is already figured in. Yeah. I mean, I just echo that anymore. I think that's bro. I saw all your comments um, after you listened to the, uh, on our, on our Twitter. And I think I was waiting kind of like for the, for this opportunity to talk about it a little bit more rather mm -hmm. than respond on Twitter. Um, but I think what was lost and Kevin touched on it a little bit is it, it's not so much that plate appearances aren't important because as everything, go, I mean, people can go back and check um, the, the tweet and all of Rob's comments. Um, 
plate appearances are important, obviously. They're not an actual category, as Kevin talked about, um, but you don't necessarily have to get them in the draft. You can get them in season. And you can, you know, Kevin, you talked about this on the show um, like last week when we talked. It, it really depends on your, your style of play, on how much right. you trust yourself to actually put in the work that's huge rob you talk about like you love the in-season management you love being able to you know tweak your team and you want to be involved that's why you don't do as many best balls anymore etc um but a lot of people don't <laughs> like a lot yeah. of people don't want to have to worry about it it's the reason why saves are going so high you know because i don't want to have to fight for for saves throughout the year in a fab league never mind in the gladiators or dcs or whatever um people just don't they know where they want to put their effort and they put their energy into and they know where they don't um right. and and if this isn't if you don't want to have to be checking platoon splits checking playing time on a on a regular basis then yeah you're gonna end up pushing these guys that you know are going to be playing six out of seven days a week seven out of seven games a week whether or not their production is quality is that's a whole nother part of your research um but if you're willing to put in that work there's an opportunity i think kevin's right i think there's an opportunity to kind of take advantage of those um as long as you're able to you know keep an eye on your team all year round that you don't give up in you know in may Right. There's right. like Rob, you you know, you know as well as everybody all the work that Steve Weimer puts into his teams, right? And he uh at first pitch Arizona, and what we're fortunate enough, we're gonna have him as a guest th- this week on our show. And uh, and I'm gonna ask him about this. In Arizona, he was on a panel with uh Vlad Sedler and Dave Potts, and they were talking NFBC strategies. And and Steve has been amazing. At, at maximizing volume right for for several years uh it's and and dave potts brought this up to him he said it, when they were talking about other strategies um and, and including maximizing plate appearances and innings pitched he said he he looked at steve up on the panel he said let's face it that your your strategy is, is great uh, and you could use another strategy that may not be quite as great and you're still going to perform very well because nobody in your leagues outworks you. And that's a big factor. And that really hit me, uh, you know, when, when that great of an NFBC player said that to, to, to Steve, you know, you, you are going to outwork everybody and that regardless of your strategy, sure. To, to win an overall, maybe he needs a tweak of a strategy here or there, but he's never going to perform poorly because of the yeah. work he puts in. And, and right. that really struck me. Yeah, absolutely. He never will. <laughs> never will. He won't <laughs> allow it. He will not allow it. Um, and yeah, actually, you know, he he had a great article on Baseball HQ and it was highlighted in the forecast that he showed the correlation with the overall, um, you know, um, he showed overall correlation with at bats to the overall hitting points um and he broke it down for draft champions main event ocs um and even did one for the 50s and followed his lead and did a little 50 dive too and it's 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 crazy but for overall points um in those formats you know at bat had the second uh the third highest correlation to you know to overall points right behind runs and ribby it was on the same number generally as home runs um it's pretty pretty crazy um but that's just yeah. 
obviously, you know, especially in draft champions, because you can't make any fab moves. But I think it's important, though, like even though we can maximize in season with streaming and like volume, um, the quality of the streaming is not going to be as great as if you're just getting a whole bunch of great plate appearances from like a core, you know, and that's why I think it's important up top. You know, it's definitely um, if you feel like you could change it because of a skill difference and, you know, still maximize it. Of course, Jock Peterson is a good example, but he's also a good example of like that he can give you a headache. You know, he's a big headache player. And like, I think because um, I had him in a couple of the weekends, I sat him for facing two lefties and the lefties got quick hooks and he came in early in the game and he hit two homers uh, like in one weekend where I didn't play him because of the assumed, <laughs> you know, and then but then if you keep him in all the time, you're also, again, losing that volume. So it, it's tricky. He's um he's a tricky guy. And I, I just just want to tell the Giants, listen, he, he can hit lefties. He can eat better than the guys you're putting in to hit the lefties, you know? So just I'm just hoping they just let because that's um I think one of the reasons why I took a chance on him last year too is I thought that they were gonna just gonna let him roll a little bit more. And it wasn't the case. But I again, think if you the take him way. now, if you take him now and they do that because I mean, they really have a bunch of duds on that team. <laughs> you know, you you that could be a big hit if he starts hitting those lefties, and now you're getting that volume from him. That could be a big trade off for sure. I I think it's going to go the other way. I think more and more teams start to play the matchup game than the 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 guys that have already been doing it. Right, the pack comes back to them as far as plate appearances go. You know, in a 15 team league we're we're throwing 210 hitters out there on a full slate night in major league baseball right a full slate there's 270 hitters in the starting lineup how many of them are not platoon players not going to get pinch hit for once uh, the starters out and there's a different handed pitcher in there uh, i would say less than 210 I would say on a full slate night, we cannot maximize plate appearances in a 15-team league, right? Not every team in the league can. So I, I think the the value is going to come from being out in front of the guys. It's got to be the strong side of a platoon unless we're in daily formats with unlimited uh, moves, right, in, in that situation. But I think the guys on the strong side of platoons that that are high-quality plate appearances, I think that might be uh, where we get our value going forward. I, I think another thing to just keep in mind, just as a side, Rob, you mentioned, like, the correlation between at-bats and all the counting stats. You didn't say plate appearances. Oh. I think that's something that, – I mean, that's – it's yeah. true, right? I mean, at-bats is what we should be really focusing on in your standard 5 by 5s that doesn't use OBP. They use average. Um, mm. You're not getting anything out of the times that, you know, they walk – unless they're, you know, a speedster or they're top of the lineup and maybe they're going to get stolen base, maybe they score a run. But for mostly, that correlation is tied to at-bats. Um, and if anything, uh, you know, you have a really high plate appearances and really low at bats. It, it's got to take, that's got to knock a player down a peg or two on your rankings. Yeah. yeah I, Rob I, started I, this I like about guys. a month ago with Juan Soto, right? And, oh, yeah. And yeah, it's yeah. just ballooned. I think every single person <laughs> that plays fantasy baseball now knows that Juan Soto's uh, career high for at bat for hits is 157. <laughs> Everybody knows that now. Thanks to Rob. 
<laughs> oh man, uh, yeah, he just uh, he's got all the talent in the world. Well, obviously, when he drives me nuts, he just there's so many balls to like because watching so many of the games, like you could you could have just smoked that. <laughs> so I need to look at it, you know. Oh man, he just I feel like he he just you have a great hit tool, man. Just it's the money the ball meme. Joey, he's the it's new the Joey Votto, right? It's the money ball meme. Yeah, it's on base. <laughs> I guess you know, but that hurts. You know, it eliminated. I mean, for fantasy, it limited yeah, yeah, opportunities sure. for us. You know, I think it. It's one reason why we shy away from him for sure. Um, and so the other thing that I really was shocked to hear, Adam, you talked about how you drafted Barsho and <laughs> MJ Melendez, which I totally love. Um, you know, I think MJM was my highest owned. Uh, we drafted catcher and gladiators um but i think you described that you shift them to the outfield and grab other catchers and then put them into sub if the other catchers are out like not performing or get hurt or something like that is that is that how i i did yeah i've done it in two leagues so far did it in my dc um in in that in that scenario i i went i'm gonna pull up that board um i grabbed uh, Salvador Perez and Adley Rutschman uh, back to back, and then picked Melendez a couple picks later. Um, in the other one, I did it in. I did it in a Fab League. I don't think the strategy um, f- plays as well in a Fab League for sure. Um, and I actually think, even though I did this in a DC, my guess is it would play better in a fifty um, than it would in a fifth in a twelve teamer rather than a fifteen teamer. Um, in I mean. I, I think I talked about him like the last year, last year I got hurt in so many of my leagues where I went weeks and weeks without at least one with only one catcher active catcher, just because either they were hurt or they got demoted. You know, my backups weren't actually backups anymore. I just didn't have options. Um, and so I told myself, you know, I wanted to try this out where um, I knew I had two solid catchers or I had ca- two starting catchers in my C1, C2. And then I had one of either Melendez or Varsho drafted as an outfielder because outfield, as we've all been hearing about, has been terrible. Um, or at least not the, it's not been as solidified as we might've seen in the past. Um, and I mean, these guys are putting, up, they have the playing time of outfielders. They're putting up the, the at bats. <laughs> they're, they're getting you the counting stats at those spots to kind of hold their own at that position where you're drafting them. Um, maybe Melendez is going up a spot, you know, a round or two based on um, his catcher eligibility. Um, but I like Melendez a lot and he's getting, he's going to get everyday playing time. Kevin has assured me that many a times on the show. Um, and so when one of Perez or Rutschman go down for a time, or even if it's just, you know, they're out for a half a week, um, I can maximize those plate appearances of those that bats by shifting Melendez into that spot. Um, I do this in my, I, I've been doing this in my home head to head league uh, for years now where I don't mind uh, if, if they have multi eligibility, I don't mind having, it's a one catcher league. I'll have two catchers on my roster um, just to maximize. It's also a daily moves league. So this works that much better in a daily moves league. Yeah, obviously. yeah it definitely does. Yeah, so I have Melendez and Sal Perez on the same team. So I'm like, oh, perfect. <laughs> um, so, you know, one of them is going to actually get in the lineup. And most of the time they're both in the lineup anyway. Um, but yeah, I did this in a fab league. I don't think it, I don't think it's going to play that well in a fab league. Um, and so I'll probably end up, you know, dropping one of those catchers. I, I mean, I have 
Bo Naylor and Yasmin and Grundell. So I did the opposite. I did Varsho early, and then I picked two you know, lesser C, you know, C2s uh, later on. And, you know, Bo Naylor probably doesn't even have the starting gig anyway. So we'll uh, we'll see what fab week one looks for that roster. But I would venture to guess that I probably drop one of them, depending on who's out there and available. Um, but I, I, I like it and I like it better in DC because it allows me to maybe roster only one catcher on my bench. Um, and I can take a little bit more risk, a little bit more, uh, opportunity later on in a draft, um, in a 50 or in a DC, um, and fill it with a different position, maybe an outfielders. Cause I'll have to back up that position instead. Um, but I can take a little bit more risk in that, in, in that scenario. Um, in, like I said, I think it works better in a 12. Um, just because same amount of catchers are getting drafted in both 12 in your DCs and your fifties. Cause your, you know, your standard team is still rostering probably four catchers on one of those rosters um, to starting to bench. And so, I mean, you're gonna, you're gonna have the same value um, of catcher on your bench in, in the 12, as you will in a 15 and a DC. And so the, I think it works a little bit better in that, in that, in that scenario. It's a very interesting strategy, and I think you're very bold for going for it. <laughs> All right, you know, I, I, I do. I, it's not a path I would take. Um, mm-hmm. I, um, but I applaud the approach, and you know, no, because I, I think we all take our path to roster construction. You know, we all come up with ideas. Sometimes, sometimes you look back and say, oh, that was terrible. And sometimes you look back and say, oh, okay, that was pretty useful. And you make those notes, you make those mental notes. Um, So when I heard that, I was like, wow, like in my head, I know, because I'm a big dual catcher, like tandem guy. I think anyone listening to this podcast knows that I love good catchers. I love having two good ones, especially. Um, And yeah, but doing that move is is interesting i never thought about that and i don't think i would do it but um i hope it works out for you thank you <laughs> we'll see i'll, I'll let <laughs> yeah. you know this yeah. time next year yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh man so tell me a little bit about your i guess your roster construction last year versus this year and in fact anything last year kind of worked for you that you're carrying into this year or it's like um you know something new that you're approaching just like basically um especially like are you are you guys always trying to get maybe um, a specific number of pitchers by a certain round and a draft and hold or fab i guess just like any any kind of you know things um that you must not not must do but you really like outline to try to do in terms of the positional guys uh kevin get take this first um yeah i i think this is changing uh, on a yearly basis for me um i i used to be uh, a no starting pitcher before the sixth round uh kind of got away from that a little bit uh not a whole lot but I, I would go a little earlier and sometimes take one uh really early first or second round uh, i've never done the pocket aces uh, but the, the things, things changed the, the catchers. I was big on getting catchers early last season. Uh, I was big on getting relievers early last season. Um, and in, in most cases for, for at least that aspect of my rosters, it, it worked out both early catchers and early closers. Now, if one of those closers is Will Smith, it didn't work out as well. And, oh, and that was yeah. a lot of my teams, uh, uh that I drafted early, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, that and that was a place. But on a couple of those, my third catcher that that I was taking late, kind of my spec guy, was Taylor Rogers. So for a lot of the season, it was I was covered uh, in those situations. So it worked out. I like that. But uh, my weakness in nearly every league this past season uh, was strikeouts. Um, mm-hmm. As as much as I talk about chasing wins, and I could have done better in wins, or I have been this year talking about this offseason, talking about chasing wins more. It's actually my, my biggest weak, weakness was strikeouts. And so, so far this draft season, I've concentrated uh, uh, on that category a little more, whether it be taking a, a big strikeout guy earlier uh, as my SP1. Uh, but usually, even in those cases, in every case, it's in general moving where I'm grabbing my pitching staff as a whole up a little bit. Um, I've always like part of the reason I really enjoy auctions is I love those 15 to $20 pitchers. I'd rather have five of them than two $40 guys. And now I'm trying to implement that into snake drafts, which means uh, I, I'm still probably going to pound hitting early, almost have to, for this to work on have to hit on the, the, the right hitters early uh, for it to work, but then in general, moving my entire pitching staff up in the draft is kind of where I'm going. And hopefully I can improve my wins and strikeout numbers without taking too big of a hit on the, the hitting side. I was, I, I, I performed pretty well in hitting last year and not nearly as well in pitching. And it was almost always due to, to strikeouts for sure. And, and wins as well. Yeah, that's um, it, and it's good that you took note of what you you know. I think that's the biggest thing for fan, playing fantasy. Just take some time to look back and 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 just know your strengths and weaknesses to, you know, to try to work that. Um, but yeah, the um, and the, and it's an interesting pocket of, of of pitchers right now, like where they're going. It's compared to in the past, um, and it makes for interesting approach. And not only snake draft, but definitely auctions, like you mentioned. Um, I I like getting, I like that group too. Um, the fifteen, I I think I'm more like the eighteen to twenty five, and then you know like try to hammer like two or three of those, and like then a bunch of like ten to fifteens to fill it out. Um, but I also don't mind going, you know, with maybe one of the forty dollar guys, and then a bunch of the tens and fifteens as well, because I think. That's the beauty of the auction. It takes those pockets of ADP that you really say, oh, man, I want six of these guys right here. And then you do yeah, the auction exactly. like I can get all of them, you know. And that's what really like that's what I really love the most, I think, is the ability to like, OK, I want JTR. And then like these stud, you know, like these 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 four pitchers that all go in ADP 60 to 66, you know, and that you can't you always have to make the decision in the snake draft to say, oh, I'm gonna have one of these guys, you know, unless you're at the wheel and they're both there. Um, but last year that was my approach too with I think it was like C Scousman, Musgrove, those guys like in that range. And it seems to be like they're in that same range again this year, which is interesting because I thought that they would move up a little bit in value. Um but It'll be cool to see once the AAVs start rolling in from um from some of the auction drafts, you know. Um it'd be cool to get a look at that for sure. 
Adam, what about you? Uh, last year versus this year, like, you know, uh, maybe some different approaches that you're taking and also, you know, how you like to break down your teams. Yeah. Uh, last year, um, I think my biggest weakness when I'm, I think I know that my biggest weakness was batting average um, and ratios in general, really not putting enough focus on what kind of an impact the volume that we talked about earlier can actually do on those three categories. Um, and so, I mean, I was, I was probably at the bottom third of almost every league in batting average. Um, luckily there was a couple of leagues where I was able to manifest, you know, higher, higher totals in other categories to bring me into the top three. But um, the, this year, very simply put, like I'm, I'm focusing highly on that. I'm not taking as many risks um, in those, unless it's much later in the draft. Um, I'm really focusing on in the top, you know, 10 rounds of my draft, any hitter, um, that I'm getting is it, they don't have to be a 280, 290 hitter, but I've got to feel like there's not as much volatility in in those hitters um, that they're not going to, you know, Joey Gallo on me. Um, that probably hurt too because I had a, plenty of Joey Gallo on most of my teams last year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Joey. So, um, you know, and we I think we talked about it last year at some point or maybe, you know, at the very beginning of the year, Kevin, we talk about like, the having the balance of like the Joey Galley, Joey Gallo plus Luis Arias, like having that pillow. Right. Um, I don't think that that works. I think the, I think it can work to, you know, in theory, um, but you still have to have that volume from the average guy. You can't just look at the average. Obviously you have to look at how many at bats they're actually putting forth. Um, so like my catcher, if they're not, a Varsho or they're not a volume catcher, if you will. Um, I'm not worried about the the batting average there per se, because it's not hurting me as much. The volume's not there as much as it is uh, with the full-time position players somewhere else. But like, I'm not taking as many risks in that, in that realm with my hitters. Um, and then, I mean, the ratios on the pitching side as well. Like I, like I said earlier, especially my 12 teamers, I'm really focusing on pitching early just to kind of solidify the top half of that rotation. Um, and I can get the volume. I mean, the majority of your volume you're, pit you're getting from is the top four or five pitchers in any league, right? Your SP one through five. Um, that's where most of your volume is. So if those volume guys are putting forth the best ratios, they can, it'll help balance out the bottom, you know, the bottom three to, you know, five uh, starters, depending on how, how you build your roster. Um and the ratios that they're putting forth aren't going to hurt you as much if they hurt you at all. I mean, you can obviously still throw some darts later on and, and hit gold, but um, for the most part, I'm focusing on the top part of my, uh, my, my volume guys are going to be helping my ratios this year, hopefully um, rather than hurting them, which is what I saw a lot last year. Makes a lot of sense. Um, it's important. I, I did pretty, pretty bad in pitching too. Um, and a lot of my DCs and that's been my goal this year. I adjusted a little bit like of that. Not so much like if I didn't, if I did pocket aces or not last year, um, it was more like I was comfortable enough with only, let's just say three pitchers, um, in the first 10 rounds or, you know, so now I'm just being a little more conscious of like, it doesn't hurt to maybe have four or five on some teams like, Again, you know, like uh, I think when you, you know, especially if you're going to get involved with a couple of leagues, it's 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 okay to try different routes. Um, mm -hmm. but I think in the last one I just did, I was just more conscious of let me try to get 
better options before, you know, ADP 200 or something, you know, let me get a, a couple more pitches that I could feel comfortable with instead of trying to round it out. Cause um, just after that, it just, just, it's tough. You know, you just, just got to hit. It's more about hitting on guys than, because it's not it's not a lot of uh, not a lot of options that have impactful every week arms, you know. Um, right. Has that. Um I'm, I I wanna ask you guys about um a metric I hear you guys talk about a lot. I know it's featured on the Pitcher List website, um, pitcherlist.com, and it's something um called hard contact, right? And I just wanted to know if you guys can get into it a little bit like um what it means what it describes and how you guys like to apply it. Cause I always love hearing, you know, what people like to look at in terms of player evaluation. Yeah. I mean, hard contact rate is a, very similar to hard hit rate um, in that, you know, it measures how many times a hard hit ball is made, except it measures it over plate appearances rather than um, uh, batted ball um, events. Uh, I mean, Kevin, you're always quoting it every time, but I mean, we had Alexander Chase, who, if I'm not mistaken, created the, the stat uh, a couple of years ago on one of our first episodes. Um, so, you know, scroll through there and try to find mm -hmm. it, but uh, he, he goes into some decent detail there um, in that episode. Um, but I mean, it's like anything else. It's like the more opportunity you have of creating something or, or doing something, the quicker it's going to stabilize. Um, and so if you measure something over plate appearances rather than over um, batted ball event, obviously right. it has a better opportunity. It also kind of helps measure, um, you know, how much contact this guy's making, not just so much how often is he hitting the ball hard, but how much is he, how often is he actually hitting the ball? Um, it, so it kind of combines those two elements. Um, I mean, Kevin, you're, like I said, you're quoting it all the time. I think you could probably go in a little bit more detail. Um, but I mean, I think there's a, there's a very solid reason why it's on all the player pages at picture list. Um, just cause I think it has a, uh, a much more applicable, um, uh, use in a shorter period of time. Um, and it stabilizes a lot shorter so you can get a better sense of, Hey, has this guy actually changed something or is, do I have to wait another couple of weeks before I can trust it? Yeah, absolutely. I I've been a big fan and it, especially, uh, in, in that scenario that, that Adam just brought up, uh, guys that seem to be maybe breaking out or, searching for guys that may be about to break out, whether it's going to their player page and checking their hard contact rate. If I've already uh, had a hunch that maybe they're doing something or just running a, a page. I, I just pulled up a uh, spreadsheet that I made in the middle of the season uh, where I, I, I downloaded um, the picture list uh, leaderboard and then did a hard contact plus walk rate category and, and sorted by that. And this is the players that, that come up. Jordan Alvarez, Aaron Judge, Juan Soto, Yandy Diaz. We, we know about him lofting the ball. <laughs> the next thing I always look at, ground ball rate, right? When, yeah. when I'm going down this list. Uh, Vinny P, Jose Abreu, Freddie Freeman. You know, this is guys that, that we, I think, typically – think of as uh really really good baseball players so that it passes that test for me uh so then when uh, one of the guys that during this past season uh two guys that that come to mind that 
when I would search by this and take out the qualifier for plate appearances, right? So that I could see guys that don't have as many and, and where they end up on this list and, and, and where, and maybe start keeping a close eye or, or go ahead and put them in my, in my fab bids. And it was a uh, Ramon Urias that worked mm-hmm. out well, got a lot of really great weeks out of him and uh, Nick Gordon in, in Minnesota, you know, uh, uh, got some good weeks out of him in, in deeper leagues. Uh, a guy that comes up on, on the list really high right now at the time only had 95 plate appearances. When I ran this sort, uh, Tristan Casas is right up there towards the top of the list. So I, I, I think it's a, a good thing. And when I would hear Alexander Chase talk about it, uh, the way he would phrase it is when you're talking about a plate appearance where the ball was hit, at 95 miles per hour or more, regardless of result. And the plate appearances, when he took a base on balls, the hitter did something good in that plate appearance. And I I like that rationale. It makes sense to me. It's logical. Uh, Adam brought it up. Uh, it's, it's a metric that stabilizes rather quickly. I believe Alexander says uh, after about 100 plate appearances, he, he really gives a, a lot of weight to this. So this is... Uh, a big tool for me, especially in season, I, I run this exact uh, uh, or or started to last season after hearing Alexander talk about this quite often. I, I would run this on a weekly basis, see if any new names popped up on my leaderboard when I'm looking at hard contact plus walk rate. Of course, there are guys that are going to be high on the list and then you're like, oh, but a 60% ground ball rate kind of takes some of the luster off of it. Uh, but it doesn't mean I'll ignore that guy. It just means I know I'm taking in that into account. We know, we know that can can be an issue with this. Uh, but in general, I, I think that's a great metric. When I look at the list and I see Yandy Diaz, all I need to do is see Yandy at the top of anything, and I'm in. <laughs> there you go. That's all I need, bro. I, I saw he, he's that. He's going to be like, my corner on a lot of my teams this year. Oh, yeah. He's a stud. I love him. He's so solid. I mean, he, you know, every, he's. He was just gonna accept him for what year, he is, and you love But he him. was giving us glimpses, yeah, right? And, some, he and maybe he's one of these guys as, as they age, kind of sell out for it a little bit. And if he does that as as he get older, as hard as he hits the ball, uh, Rob, you and I will be in business. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I had so much of him last year too, and every week, you know, when you you know you can, however you decide to, you know, uh, make your lineups. Um, you know, just running the projections from Razball or Derek Hardy weekly, you know, and, and you just, he was always like instant start <laughs> all the time. He just is so solid. Doesn't, you know, I think everyone expects the more homers and the more power because of his size and his physique, but he consistently shows that he won't F you <laughs> <laughs> anything. And I think that that's the biggest thing, you know, that's makes someone just as good as, um, you know, as having, you know, something like they always bring mm-hmm. to the table, you know, when you don't suck, um, it, it helps. <laughs> that's all you gotta but, do. Just don't it, suck. And you also <laughs> apply for pitchers too, right? I mean, there's a, there's a leaderboard for pitchers as well that you could utilize the hard contact with. Is it like similar or is it, it's like stabilizes, you know, quickly for pitchers as well, or is it something like that you have to take a different angle on? Well, I haven't used it for pitchers. Okay. Um, I, in 
fact, on the leaderboard um, for pitchers, I don't believe it's it's included on the leaderboard as one of the stats. Uh, it probably is on the player pages. Um, yeah, it's not something I've had it added to to my pitchers yet, but maybe it's something I should because it, you know I I am a believer. It's been a few years. Um, I, I had a conversation with Alex Chamberlain and then, uh, Alex fast kind of got in on a, a Twitter discussion we were having about the, the pitchers that outperform their projections due to suppressing quality of contact. And is that a skill and something we could measure? And if so, then hard contact percentage for, for pitchers would definitely be something to look at. Uh, it's not something I've started doing yet. It's on it. It's it's under tab batted ball too. But don't worry, I won't tell your boss. There it is. Yeah, <laughs> it's all good. I use it for like you know because I hear Nick talking about using it for pitchers, um, for the pitch specifically, and that's what I kind of like to look at. That's on the player page. Yes, it's great. I love that just to kind of get a quick glance of of you know um, how that pitch is just generally doing. You know, without having to do too much of a dive and then you can go from there accordingly. But I mean, I think the hard contact on a pitcher's player page is actually a little deceiving only because it's a total hard contact. Exactly. Like you said, Rob, and if you got a pitcher who's throwing, you know, he limits hard contact on his number one pitch, but not so much everything else, but he throws it 60, 70% of the time. Um, Obviously, you know, volume is volume regardless, but I think it's really important to actually dive into what their repertoire is. um, What, part of their repertoire is actually, um, uh, you know, contributing the most to that percentage. Um, that's, I mean, anything, anything with a pitcher, I mean, they do different things with different pitches um, in different scenarios, but uh, I think that's a good point to, to call out there. I think awesome. I, I'll be completely honest. The, the reason I haven't looked at that for pitchers is I don't go that deep on pitching. I trust Nick Pollock. I trust Eno Saris. I, I trust projections. I I don't do this deep of dives. I, I take everything all these guys are saying. Sure. If there's something I notice, I think, mm, like I said, make sure it's not already included. They're not already accounting for it. Or when I'm watching games and I see usage, maybe, maybe changing uh, for the team, take that into account, give guys bumps here and there. But uh, yeah, there, there's a, few people out there that when it comes to pitching i trust them uh me diving in to uh, a pitching metrics is is not going to help me much uh because uh they know a lot more about it than i do that makes sense you you always have to again i go back to strengths weaknesses and knowing where to you know outsource your 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 um advice to other people um definitely makes sense for sure um, I, I told Nick that during my interview for Pitcher List. Uh, it's, I don't remember how it came up. I, you gave well, him no, the Kembe finger it, like this? It, <laughs> no, it, no, no, it, no. When it comes to pitching, I I trust you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, you didn't tell him, like, I, I don't do this? Because that's not a quick way to get a job, right? <laughs> no, no. Like, I, I trust remember, you when it comes to pitching. <laughs> I remember the first time um, I joined the union, you know, and I was working with this old timer, you know, Italian guy, did some time, you know, all that fun stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he goes like this to me, hey, kid, I just want to let you know, I don't do ladders like this with the big <laughs> finger, you know? <laughs> I was like, so? He's like, so that means every time we got to go high, you're it. I was like, oh, 
you know, that's how it works now. <laughs> even when I need another guy on the other end to hold the other side of this beam, all you kid, I'll set up <laughs> the ladder and you can go back and forth. He tells me, I thought, oh, okay. I don't do ladders. I don't do ladders. It's <laughs> uh, it's interesting. Um, but we're gonna take a quick break, and we're gonna come back, and we're gonna have a cool stolen base draft that we'll explain, and we'll do a couple of quick ADP battles. Alrighty, folks, this break is brought to you by Rob's Rant, and today I just had something quick to say on followers on Twitter and such, and someone, I wrote, a, I read a tweet that someone, they went a little bit on a rant and say how when a team wins and celebrates, it's always the most garbage players that spray the most champagne, and he said that Twitter is the same way, but people with no followers or less followers always trying to get intention by trolling. And it just got me thinking, like, what are followers, you know? So, like, if you met someone on the street and you were chatting with them, before you made a decision on any input they were giving you or what they had to say, would you ask them how many followers do you have? And does that make them any more or less believable to what they're talking about? It's, you know, you have to give everyone time and your ear. It's just, just it was baffling to read it. It was a very popular person and who has a lot of followers and you don't just shit on people because they don't have followers i don't know just my opinion um it doesn't make anyone any less educated or um i don't know just how would you take their opinion differently because they don't have followers what are followers you know it's just i don't know Obviously, I'm blessed to have people who want to follow me and listen to what I have to say or, you know, or follow the podcast. But it's just at the same time, it's just how you can't just shit on people because of not having followers. It's just very, I don't know, it was a little disturbing. But, um, yeah, obviously, we respect people who have a lot of followers because that's how they got a lot of followers in the first place. Sure. But it doesn't mean the people with no followers who are not trying to gain a followership if that's a word, followership doesn't deserve to be heard or at least not made fun of. So, yeah. And the resealable bags. Jeez, let's get back to those for a quick second. I just had the first uh, time where I opened up a resealable bag. And it, it, trust me, it reseals. Yes, it definitely does reseal. But the adhesive came off of one side of the bag. So now it's both stuck on one side and I still can't close it. Yep, great. Back to the pot. All right. We're at the Poe Hater Podcast. We're back. I'm with Mr. Adam Howe and Kevin Hastings. We are about to get into a stolen base draft. So um, with all this, you know, stolen base talk, larger bases, pitch clock, all this fun stuff, uh, it's been a heavy topic on podcast this offseason. And, um, you know, a lot of different analysts have different opinions on who will gain the most stolen bases per se. Is it going to be the middling guys? who then make a big jump or even the fastest guys or the guys who get the most on bases, are they even going to take a big jump or they're only going from 27 to 30 per se. Um, so I figure with all those different opinions, we take an interesting approach. So anyone with eight to 20 stolen bases last year, that's the pool that we'll be able to draft for in this cool little draft that we're going to do, but it won't be total stolen bases. It's going to be the total improvement of stolen bases from last year to this year. So we're going to try to play our hands on which kind of players we think might make that biggest jump. So um, we'll go two rounds. 
whoever wants to uh, start it off, whoever wants the first pick, you can claim it. If not, you'll get second pick or <laughs> the third pick, whatever you want. You oh, guys hey, are Rob, two you're guests. doing this too. You, yeah, you guys are the two <laughs> guests. So where do you want to draft? Kevin? I think there's a clear number one. What do you want to do, Adam? You Ooh. take 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 the clear number one. I'm curious the to clear see what one. Yeah, dude, I, I think there is. It's due to All injury. Right. But All uh, right. I, I think Jazz Chisholm there you is, go. There is you easy, go. pretty easy. Uh, 12 last season, full season. We probably can expect a good 20 to 25, and, and 30 plus is not out of the realm of possibility. Uh, with only having 12 last season, I think he only played 47 games or whatever it was. So I, I think that's a pretty easy one. Uh, but and uh, is it cheating because he was injured and that's the only reason he's on this list or he'd have had more than 20? But uh, I, that's that's who I was thinking when I say clear number one. Yeah, no, I mean, that's be- okay. This, 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 no, we're, there's no injury thing. I was gonna put a paid parents <laughs> thing on it, but I, I, I said let's just roll with it because, uh, you know, part of you know, prospecting on a player is obviously injuries, health. Um, does he get on the field and they ask him to maybe not run as much? Who knows? But or will he get hurt again? Definitely thought that'll go through my head when I draft him or think about drafting him. But yeah, I, I don't think it's cheating either. It's it's part of the game. It's part of the game. It's um like I said, it's it's the biggest improvement. So if he gets to 20, having a plus eight is huge for your team for sure. But yeah, I mean, I think it's I, I think you're probably right, Kevin. It's probably the obvious number one. I mean, he had 17 to uh attempts last year so he these are the kind of guys i'm looking at too the guys who ran plenty and they might have missed a couple of opportunities um Mm. and so he ran 17 times got caught five times um you know if he if he if if he got caught those five times because of those extra you know inch or two that he's going to gain this year because of the bases there there's five right there i mean if he even if he does the same rate um plus the full-time playing you know full season the only thing I worry about with Jazz is, you know, be, are the injuries going to hold him back or is it going to hold the Miami back from mm. sending him as often yes. because they're not going to want him to get hurt? I mean, we the most obvious example I see of this is like Brendan Rodgers. Um, you know, he he wanted to steal like 40 bases or whatever he said. And then one spring training, he gets hurt stealing a base. And then he did not attempt a stolen base all year if i'm not mistaken um and so that would be the only thing i'd be worried i don't think jazz has that same mentality i think he's gonna want to run he's gonna be one of center of attention absolutely Um, but uh that would be the only thing that i'd be worried about in in his scenario i agree Um, yeah because i'm definitely i i'll take that side of him for sure like he 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 wants to make a splash he wants to be you know, 2020, 30, 30. I think the, he's got, he's, he's got on, he's got his eyes on making, you know, a top player list in the league. And I think that gets him there, but uh, excellent. Adam, do you want to go second or do you want me to go second? I'll, I'll take, I'll take two because I think that there's a clear number two. Whoa, as well. whoa. Yeah. I think it's pretty clear. Um, and it's similar to jazz situation where you miss most of the time because of injury, but this is me miss most of the time because the Pittsburgh pirates decided he needs to work on his defense. And that's O'Neill Cruz, mm. um, 10 stolen bases last year. He ran 14 times. Uh, he had, and this is, we didn't get into it. You're talking about stats or, or metrics that we're looking into. Um, but one thing, one metric that I look into specifically when it comes to stolen bases is stolen base opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only, the only site that really lists it, um, is baseball reference, 
but luckily, you know, with our ins at pitcher list, we have, uh, we have access to some more stats on the back end, especially since pitcher list is built on stat cast numbers. Um, so I was able to pull, um, or have our, our stat guys, um, pull some numbers for me and I'm able to specify stolen base opportunities a little bit better, um, where stolen base opportunity by pitch rather than by uh, times that you were on base or by, by plate appearance, like we said, with hard contact, it's more like more opportunity you have to stabilize the better. Um, and so if you do it by pitch, um, it's, you know, having being on first base with second base open when you have, uh, you know, three, three pitches during that at bat um, to steal versus 11 and you still don't steal makes a big difference. Um, it shows how much, how aggressive you're actually going to be. Um, O'Neill Cruz in a very limited, uh, period of time had 248 opportunities to steal. Obviously he ran 14 times, but that, that rate is really, really low. How many pitches he waited to run, uh, it was about seven, every 17th pitch he would run. So his aggressiveness is there. His speed is there. Pirates are going to let him do whatever he needs to do because, they are the pirates at that old adage, right? What else are they going to be doing? Um, and I can easily see him getting up with a full year's worth of opportunities. Uh, as long as he actually can, as long as he gets on base and puts himself in those opportunities. Um, I mean, I, he can, he can definitely double that for sure. Especially with, you know, the rule changes, the bases. Um, I can't imagine why we're not expecting him to get closer to the 2025 mark. Um, in, in a full season's worth of playing time. I like it. I like it. He definitely, yeah, definitely have to get on base to do that. But for, yeah, sure. for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. It's, um, But he definitely has all the tools, you know, the speed to get there for sure. Um, I like, yeah, I like looking at stone base opportunity. That's a good, that's a good go-to source. I also like doing, um, uh, stolen base opportunity rate, which um, Rob Silver had a great article of that on once on Rotowire, where you just just uh, you take the the stolen base opportunity divided by um, the attempts. Um, yep. I, yeah, and you get you know the rate of them running on the opportunity that they had. So it's definitely uh, and Cruz. Yeah, you take Cruz is definitely up there for that. It's a good shot. I like it. It's a good pick. All right, so. We got Jazz and O'Neal Cruz. Got some young, young guns. I hope ready. you're tracking this, Rob. I want to make sure we get results oh, at the end of the year. We're tracking, baby. <laughs> we're tracking. Um, man. All right, I got a, I got a little two for here. Okay, first pick. I'm gonna go with Mr. Shohei Otani. Oh, uh, okay. Eleven stolen bases last year, but 26 the year prior. Um, definitely doesn't have a great, great track record of uh, stolen base per caught stealing. Uh, last two seasons, he has uh, you know, twenty six out of thirty six, and then eleven out of twenty. But I think this is the kind of guy with his skill set, with his speed, um, that we'll see take advantage of maybe, uh, you know, shorter distance, um, and just just getting getting the chance. A run again. I think it'll. I think that'll be the difference maker. And I think he's going out to uh for another kind of monster season. Um, and I think the stolen bases were kind of missing from that last year. Um, 
is what we're looking at into the stone, you know, to the MVP race. But um, yeah, so I'm going to go with Hani. Um, and then with my second pick, uh, this is a tough one. This is, uh, there's so many like guys where you're like, oh, well, if this falls into place, this could be it. Yeah, right. This falls into place. <laughs> this could be it. Um, and it came down to two. And I'm going to go with it just to go with it. Just because this is the kind of guy I think it was made for. Stolen bases being easier to possibly get this year. And he had 15 last year. Uh, now I'm going to go Mr. Victor Robles. I think, he, I think he's going to get a shot uh, to... To run again, he's got to get on base. He's got to make it happen. But I think they're gonna let him go free. Um, yeah. So I'm going with Hani and Victor Robles. I think they said as much. Him and C.J. Abrams are gonna have that opportunity from the beginning to be everyday players. Um, I, I think we've heard that about Victor Robles in the past, though. And he have. <laughs> and, have. He's, and he's <laughs> basically said he's decided with his uh, performance that that's not gonna be the case. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> he made that decision. But I mean, pretty... Robles has the skill to do it. He just needs to be given the opportunity to do it. Um, I think the only thing that kept me away from Robles was the fact that he, you know, had the point of this draft is how much more can he get from the year right. prior? Yes. Um, and can he play enough to get 10 more stolen bases than he did last year? Um, I think that would be, uh, that would be, that was my only question. The, obviously Ooh. the skill is, is there. Yeah, I was taking out. like I was taking like that home run shot of like, okay, who in this list can I realistically see if everything goes well, right? Get mm-hmm. the 40. Like, I mean, honestly, like if obviously the getting on base and and all that fun stuff would shock us, but would it really shock you if he stole 40 bases? You know, he he's he's shown the ability to to do it, you know, willingly. So I that was my angle with that in this cool little you know, made up draft that I made. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> now we know why you made um, up. <laughs> um, yeah, I did it for Robles. Yeah. <laughs> I was, uh, I was identifying cheap steals late in DCs and said, this is the draft I want to do with the, on the wire. <laughs> all right. So we're going to swing back to you, Adam, um, with O'Neill Cruz, um, yeah. as your first guy. As this two rounds, right? So this is my last pick here. Yeah. Make um, it work. oh man. That's uh, I got a, I got a couple of names on here as well. Um, I, I really, I don't want to take him because I'm hoping Kevin takes this next guy. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave him on the board and hope, <laughs> cross my fingers that Kevin talks about him. Um, all right, I think I'm gonna go with. Let me scroll down my draft board here. Yeah, I have a draft board for this. Um, <laughs> all right, I'm gonna go with uh, Mr. Uh, Bryson Stott. Ooh, Philadelphia. yes. Okay. Um, Bryson Stott, um, dual eligible or will be um, very quick in the season. Actually, I think he already has it. Right yeah, here he yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's got the, both middle infielders. Um, ran 16 times last year. Uh, he ran, he, he was successful 12. So, you know, he's got that four caught stealing buffer. You know, it's not not a bad buffer but again these are this is the buffer i'm looking for um uh, mm-hmm. with the new rules in place hopefully he can take advantage of that and maybe three out of those four just because he missed it just by an inch and he can take advantage of that um he also had a fairly low um my version of stolen base opportunity by pitch um 
about 25 every 25 pitches he he was running. The other thing is is that Philadelphia is a was a very aggressive team on the base pass last year. Um especially in comparison to a lot of others. Uh they were the seventh most aggressive um throughout the course of the year in sending runners. Um and they sent um a good chunk of them 81% of all their uh stolen base attempts came from players that had a uh um excuse me a sprint speed in the 50th, 50th percentile or higher. Um Ooh, interesting. And so th- I think this really goes bodes well for like Trey Turner as well going from the Dodgers uh who you know, obviously he was a big portion of why the Dodgers, you know, were middle of the pack in aggressiveness on the base pass. Uh, but the Dodgers relied more heavily on everybody throughout the course of their of their um, of their roster, whether you were fast or slow, doesn't matter. Below 50 percent percentile speed, the Dodgers had a 36 percent of their um attempts were from those you know the, the slow guys on the roster whereas the phillies if you're fast you're going to get the attempts to run and we're going to be attempting it as aggressively as anybody else in the league um and so i think that matters when you're looking to at like team constructions like all right well this team loves to run well with who you don't know like you have to you really have to figure out do they like running with their fast guys or do they like running with everybody um so that's something to look at and stott has um i just had it up he had like a 28 28 or 29 um um mile per spin speed so he's right up there with he's just just below jazz just below o'neill cruz we talked about earlier um he has the ability to do it and he's also somebody who kevin and i we talk about like he experienced the stolen base the rules changes in the minors the year prior so he's at least familiar with the, uh, what you can do in the, in those situations, so um, I think he can take advantage of that. And there's a lot there's a lot of room for him to go up from twelve stolen bases. Yeah, that's um, I love it. I love Scott. I've uh, been a fan of his, even though he's on the Phillies. I'm a Met fan. Um, we have one of the uh, Phillies affiliates here, um, close to where I live in Jersey. Um, so I I watched him. Um, and single A, him and Ohapi on the same team. Mm. It, it was great. Got to see them about three, four times, and um, I love them. They're they're great, great duo, and they were just fun to watch. They really like even with my wife at the game, she was able to like tell. They're like, wow, those guys hit the ball differently than the other players. I'm like, yes, they do. <laughs> That's clear as day. Uh, but Stott was also really good um, in the second half. You know, he was um, mm-hmm. eight eight for 11 in his last um, 200 plate appearances. So he, 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 you know, I think he's like at the season got along. He got better at, you know, making contact. He's barely striking out, um, making making better contact and, um, and getting aggressive. I just uh, feel like he's just – settling in and now with Turner next to him I just feel like he will be just the team itself obviously they're going to be hungry to get back but I think just the mentality that he's not like a like a rookie that has to you know carry anything of the team they just got to play good defense and be be pretty good all around and I think he has all that for sure I think the best comment I heard him I don't know if I heard I read that he said was they asked him somebody asked him like where do you want to play or the manager asked me like, where do you want to play next year? And his response was in Philadelphia. Like he, <laughs> like it didn't matter if he was going to, what position he was going to play. He's like, I just want to be there and I want to be part of this. And I want to be there every day. 
Uh, Use me how you want to use me and I am going to do my best and I'm going to, you know, make you proud, if you will. So that's uh, obviously getting Turner in there obviously forces him into a certain position, but he didn't care. Like he's, (laughs) he he just wants to be there. Right. I love it. All right, Kevin, take us through uh, the end of this unbelievable draft. Who are you going to (laughs) pair with Jazz Chisholm? Uh, I'm going to go with another early round guy here. Um, ah, you're not going to pick the guy I wanted you to pick then. Well, <laughs> I, I think I know who you're, I'm going to bring that guy up because I right, think I right. know who you're talking. This is not my pick, but I think you're talking about Nate Eaton. I am. And, <laughs> and, and this, right. This, uh, hinges a lot on out of both Mondesi. Right? It, Mondesi is the starting third baseman for the Kansas city Royals right now. I believe. Uh, if things happen as they have in the past, that spot will be open very quickly and Nate Eaton can slide right in there. But I think that needs to happen. Otherwise, he's going to be a utility guy. And, uh, you know, we have a new management in, in Kansas City, a whole new coaching staff going back to midseason last season. Uh, but I think as a team, they still want to run. And if Nate Eaton can get playing time as a utility as of right now, because he can play both outfield and infield. Uh, He could get some playing time and steal some bases. But uh, for this, I mean, he had 11 last season. So we need some playing time to, to get a big difference there for to be. uh, So I like him later in drafts and I may like him even more um, later in draft season, depending on how how Kansas city's lineup looks. But my pick is Bo Bichette. Um, bo, bo, bo. I, I think that I think it's absolutely fascinating that he was allowed to still a, attempt to steal bases in the second half. Um, it, and he he went through a stretch. Well, in the first half, he was successful on seven out of thirteen attempts, caught six times. In in April, he was three out of four. So in May, June, and July combined he was caught in five of his nine attempts that's horrendous and i'm shocked that they let him attempt another stolen base but they did and we know he had a better second half and especially the last month month and a half of the season he was back to what we expect out of Bo bichette and he was six out of eight if they're gonna let allow him to make those eight attempts after that horrendous stretch of being caught five out of nine times they're definitely going to let him run with the new rules in effect, I believe. Uh, I think not only are we looking at going back to, you know, the 25 stolen bases we saw in 2021, but I think he could improve on that with the new rules. Um, he, he basically had this, he had almost as many attempts with 13 stolen bases in 2022 as he did when he had 25 in 2021. So I think that goes right back up and then throw the no rules on top of it. And, and we could see big things from Bo Bichette here uh, heading into 2023. I definitely um, in that 25 range for me and and possibly more. So a, a double digit difference. I like that. I like it. Fantastic. Got some. Um, uh, I love it because I'm big on Bichette this year. I think he's a guy I've taken a lot and um, 
think back to the first and like back into the first half, uh, first round, he's a bat that kind of, you know, um, if you need that power speed blend, you know, in the first round, he offered the versus the Jordan route or, um, you know, big bopper style. So big bow. I like the bow for sure. So you got bow and jazz. Just That's a sexy team. I mean, playing all around stats, it's going to be tough to beat. Uh, Stott and Cruz for Adam and Otani and Robles for me. Robles is definitely the worst player in that group, as as usual. But um, <laughs> this is going to be fun to play out. And we'll see. Uh, I, I think what I learned about looking at this list the most was that Yuli Gurriel had eight. <laughs> That's what you like, Wait, what? <laughs> Yeah, he had he had the same amount as Tim LaCastro. What kind of world do we live in? Right. <laughs> One guy's blazing fast, Olympic running. The other guy's 38. Oh, God. Oh, man. So, all right, that was fun. So let's close this out. I put some players together in groups of um, ADP that they're stuck in right now. Maybe you guys could just, uh, you know, just pick, pick one out of the group and um, tell me maybe why you like said player over another. So let's hit up first base. Um, there's a nice cluster with Ryan Mountcastle, Andrew, um, Andrew, not Andrew Rizzo, Anthony Rizzo, Ty France, and Rowdy Rowdy Piper Telez. Um, Adam, who out of this group uh, will you tend to lean on um, in draft season? Uh, I, I got I got sniped on Rizzo in my 50 just like yesterday. So mm-hmm. um, I'm going to go ahead and say Rizzo. Rizzo was my target in this group, and they're still going pretty close together um, as I'm at, at least in that one draft. Um, I mean, I just love the fact that Rizzo obviously got more comfortable in Yankee Stadium as time went on. He yeah. comfortable enough to you know sign another contract with them. Um, he I mean. I don't think it's going on a limb to saying that, you know, Rizzo is not a, you know, 220 hitter. <laughs> uh, he, yeah, I, I expect him to take full advantage of, of the porch um, as he had with, you know, 30 plus home runs last year as well. Um, and this is a guy, you know, he's going to be playing every day. You know, he's not going to get platooned. He's, he's got the benefit of being on one of the best offensive teams in baseball um, and being able to take advantage of that. I, I think that, between him and say like Mountcastle, who I got stuck with in this draft, um, I say stuck just because, I mean, as much as Mountcastle brings to the table, you gotta you gotta take the park factor into account, and what they did with the with the wall, um, in Baltimore has really hurt him, um, him specifically from the rest of the team. So, um, I I didn't really single out France or Tellez in that analysis, but uh, I mean Rizzo is the one I'm going for, especially. If I don't, if I don't end up grabbing a first baseman in the first like three rounds, like one of those top four guys, uh, I'm probably waiting until I, I don't know. I'll jump Rizzo more aggressively than I did in this draft. Um, but Rizzo would be a target of mine in general at first base. I like it. I definitely think he he he's gonna improve his batting average a little bit. I know, um, you know, I put the shift stuff and um, just some stuff I've listened to as well from. I listened to the Ian Happ podcast um, that he's on, and he he just talked about like the mental side of of not seeing an extra guy there and what it does for a batter, um, and just you know all the stuff that we can't really you know put hard numbers on or put into your model. 
you know, it's just how how hitters will will mm-hmm. see and adjust. Like their eyes will see things that they haven't seen in a while. You know, um, for a guy who sees it a shift often, and and Rizzo thinks a good enough hitter to get a lot of those hits back, where he just rips the ball, the line drive into the short fielder. You know, which I think probably is his is what I've seen him in like live games affects him more than the grounders pull that way. Sure. Kevin, what do you like here? All right. Uh, typically with an exercise like this, I, I like to to run the players through the auction calculator. Right now, the only um, projection system up on fan graphs is Steamer for these uh, this type of uh, auction calculator run. And so that's what I did. Steamer projections, the first baseman run in. And this is what's funny to me. Three of these guys are back to back to back at 14th, 15th, and 16th auction value first baseman. Mm-hmm. One of them is seventh. And that's Ty France. So if we trust what Steamer says, Ty France is far and away the best of this group. I'm not saying that's necessarily the case, but that's my starting point. Uh, and then I go look at Ty France's projection, uh, 670 plate appearances. Probably going to bring that down a little bit, but um, the, the the rest of his numbers, I think, look uh, very reasonable. 80-plus runs, 80 RBI. Uh, 272 average would be his lowest batting average since 2019. Uh, so I think this looks reasonable, a little over 20 home runs, uh, after having 20 uh, and 18 the last couple of seasons. Um, so this looks like a, a reasonable projection to me, may come down slightly if I dock those plate appearances a little bit. Uh, but, um, just running this exercise, um, uh, as far as steamer projections go right now and I, and we'll see when as uh, as more projections come out and I start finagling uh, playing time a little more how, how that affects this but I, I think the gap is big enough that it probably stands that he would still come out on top even when I make those adjustments uh, because he's so far a- ahead of the others so yeah Ty France for me nice so when you use the auction calculator like um what because i know you know has different options so what are you setting in terms of like because i think you know people might see that they get different values if they don't like are you adjusting right like what are you putting for bench players um are you you know putting in the specific pitcher breakdown and stuff like that i don't put in a split um when I'm doing something really quick like this and, and and I'll do more detailed things depending on what I'm looking for. But when mm-hmm. I, when I'm pulling up something really quick, I changed, I, I make it in FBC. I changed the bench players to seven. I changed the number of teams to 15. Uh, I put the, the uh, I make it nine pitchers instead of six yep. starters and, and mm-hmm. three relievers. Yeah. And I take the qualify at position to zero for starting pitching and relief pitchers leave the position players at 20 since uh, we're talking about uh, draft season. Of, of course, in season, if I want to see, I'll change that position players to 10 uh, because uh, if I were using year to date stats when, when I'm looking in season. Uh, but for the most part, that's about all the changes I make when I'm doing something really quick. 
but uh, if there's something I want to look at more detailed, so sometimes I'll, I'll make a other, couple other tweaks. Gotcha. Makes sense. All right. So we got a, a, an, an Anthony Rizzo and a Thai France out of that battle. It's interesting. Um, I think Mountcastle is definitely someone that, you know, because he still he still hits the ball so hard, you know, still barreled over 60 balls last year. Just um, you know, he made a he made a slight you know, definitely approach to not pull the ball as much that he that he has in the past. So with those came, you know, more opposite field barrels, which don't do as much damage as the pull barrels. Um because, you know, obviously the shorter path to being a home run or, um, you know, just the way the ball spins when you pull it just has a better effect. But, you know, it's tough because he's bar- he's still barreling so many balls. And, and I feel like I got him in a draft. Um, and at first I was like, oh, you know, trying to, I think I missed out on pretty much this whole group. And he kind of went late, um, I think almost 200, if not 200. And I was happy with that, but I was just like, you know, I think I think he's good enough of a hitter too to tr- you know to maybe even change that approach back to pulling the ball, and maybe maybe he you know he's shown enough power when he pulls it, like his exit velocity on pull fly balls, it's it's still top echelon league. Like, still has enough power to get it out, even in that short you know like extended porch out and left. Um, so. I think he has a chance to at least um, give you the same amount of home runs this year, maybe maybe a couple more. But uh, it's definitely an interesting group. I think most important, like with these exercises, just like really just knowing um, during the flow of the draft, like which way you want to go. You know, if you have to make a decision, like you said, Adam, if you don't get the top guys, like knowing which way you want to go with a pocket of, uh, you know, first baseman or any position, it just really helps understand the uh, draft flow a lot better. Um, let's go to, uh, we're going to skip this multi-eligible one I had out there. Let's go to the outfield. I have uh, Christian Yellick at 130, Stephen Kwan at 124 and Jake McCarthy, who's moved up. He's right now, he's 116. I think when I, we originally set to make this doc, he was kind of, uh, closer, uh, close, closer to, um, the group. I think he was like in the one twenties as well, but he moved up a little bit. So, um, definitely some different profiles here, different kind of players. Who you guys got, Kevin? Let's get you first on this one. Yeah, so I I knew who I wanted to say, and then I I did looked at the the same auction calculator results, and they they do support it, but it, it's much tighter. Like these three are really close together uh, uh, in that aspect as well. So it's no surprise they're being drafted. Uh, pretty close together, but I I think it's Stephen Kwan for me. Mm, uh, nice. I I I I think he's going to take another step uh, as well, and I think that lineup in general may do the same. Uh, so this isn't a, a, as much any thorough analysis a, as it is. It, it's just that it, it appears to me just by watching him play and, and, and looking what he did, you know, it's pretty crazy. A guy comes into major league baseball, zero major league baseball experience and comes in and gets 638 plate appearances. That's amazing. 
and then do that with a higher walk rate than strikeout rate. Now I'm I'm in. And then now compared to these other guys, do I like him more than I like them? I think I do. Uh, I, I like the the slight increase in home runs that that Steamer's projecting. Now Steamer actually projects less stolen bases here with the change in rules. I would like to think he'll at least maintain the 19 he had not go down and maybe get up into the twenties. So yeah, I, I think it's Steven Kwan here for me, but it's close. I, I like all these guys in this range. Yeah. I like that call, especially in, um, you know, in the second half, he, he was extra aggressive, you know, in his last um 58 games, he was 11 for 14, you know? So he really got on the base path a lot and looked to run a little more, and um, just overall skill set, you know, he's, he, he's such a good hitter. He's got like a, a sneaky pop in there. Um, he's got your extra bases as well. Um, yeah, and he just, like you said, he just put the bat on the ball. And um, I am surprised by that lower projected number um, because I do feel like he's definitely ended the season with a little more comfortability in running and knowing when to run and definitely see it um, improving this season. So I like that call. Adam, who do you like out of this group? I, I wanted to say Quan, but now I'm going to say Yelich just because i got to get another name out there, right? No, um, <laughs> no I, you don't have to. I, I mean, think, no, no, I, I would say I would say Yelich um, if for no other reason um, the idea of having a, a more rounded, a more overall um, uh, production um, out of Yelich assuming that, you know, he's he's beyond some of the health concerns that we saw Um in the in in recent in the recent past, um, both Quan and Yelich run. I mean, we're not even going to talk about McCarthy as far as running goes because obviously McCarthy has shown <laughs> some game winning or some league winning uh, stolen base numbers um, last year, especially in the second half. But um, they both had 19 stolen bases last year. Um, Yelich obviously has shown he can hit up. You know, in the upper 20s, he hit 30 in 2019 when he was a little bit more fully healthy. Uh, but the fact that he was able to get back into, you know, close to a 15-20 season, uh, you know, 15 home runs, 20 stolen bases um, last year in in full-time plate appearances and be able to play throughout the course of the season, 154 games, um, that helps me a lot to feel as though it's like kind of the Max Muncy, uh, the way, I, you know, going against Max Muncy. There was a certain point in the season you realize, all right, he's, actually healthy now um he's actually being able to produce but he still played through the whole time um i'm i'm going to take a a risk to say that yelich is at that point as well um and yeah he's he's still going to produce at an overall rate that is not going to hurt you in any any one particular category as opposed to you know kwan's lack of power mccarthy's questionable power and possibly even questionable uh playing time uh depending on you know how how you feel about the outfield situation in arizona um or if he'll even be an arizona diamondback come opening day um so i think yelich is weird to say but for me i think yelich is the safest one of this three for both playing time and overall production um and he doesn't have to do much more than what he did last year to kind of over, you know to give you more value at this at this point in in ADP. Yeah, it's crazy because Yelich, you know, I think it's interesting you talk about like the you know knowing when a player is healthy, and I also think like 
there's like a phase to when a player is starting to feel healthy, you know, and you could see it in their play, but it's also like in their mind to like, they're trying to get through the season, you know, get stronger as the season goes, which is tough to do. Um, And I think once someone feels like, okay, you know, I'm thinking I can do this. And now in this off season too, I just think that's another added level of confidence. Like, okay, I'm feeling healthy. I can make it through a season now. Um, you know, you just get to a better flow. He didn't pull a, a, a home run uh, all year, which is pretty wild Telling to me. You. Sure. Yeah. And it's just, um, you know, again, looking at that pulled fly ball percentage, like last year, he had only a 6.7% pulled fly ball percentage. And that's pretty wild. Um, but again, maybe it's the bat speed. Maybe it's coming around quicker. Maybe, you know, comes together for him more this year but i think he's sneaky you know where he's going right now because uh, i think everyone could be like a league winner in their own right but like you mentioned he can he might be able to give you you know solid categories all around like Kristen yellow she does and if that power comes back even slightly you know more than what he produced last year um huge huge boost for his value and i think it shoots it shoots his um you know, his yeah. overall return a little bit up there if he could pull that off. And we go back to hard contact rate that we talked about. We started the show. I mean, 29.9% is three and a half points above league ag- average. So guy's still hitting the ball plenty hard he enough. He really is. Yes, He's he is. in Milwaukee. Uh, you know, regardless of how they've retooled that, that offense, they're still in that stadium, whatever you want to call it nowadays. It's, you know, it's still, <laughs> uh, <laughs> whatever uh family friendly field or something um, uh, whatever <laughs> he scored 99 runs i mean the guy's still i mean he's healthy enough to run and play every day um he he has the ability shown the ability to do what he can do so yeah i have a little bit more trust in him definitely more than i did you know going into last season yeah it. if it's if it's something lingering from his back uh, that led to a swing change that that brought his ground ball rates back up to to where they were in, in miami and when he first got to Milwaukee uh he's made this change before as well that would just be an added bonus right mm-hmm. it, it it's probably not likely but it wouldn't be shocking to see his home run numbers just explode again he's done it before so uh it, it, that would just be icing on the cake yeah it, it it definitely would be he has so um I have uh uh, prescri- uh subscription to the swinggraphs.com that's where they show the vertical bat angle of things and um he actually returned last year um to his 2018 2019 range in 2020 and 2021 he fell off he was like in the 30 degree range and in 18 19 and this year he was all at 33.3 so three degrees i don't know how big of a difference that is, you know, but um, toward the end of the season, he definitely, he had some jumps in months where he was in the 34, 35. So, you know, um, again, I think this is phases to healing and phases to like, you know, getting back to him being, and he smashes the ball. That's for sure. He still gets a hold of it. So, um, and I don't think you could bet on Christian yet, like bet against him. He just no. seemed like the type. Yeah. And plus, listen, you know what? He's on Instagram training, guys. Okay, <laughs> can't That's fucking beat that. Yeah. You know, I saw Mookie Betts too training hard. 
on social. I'm like, these guys are studs. Move them up in the ranks. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. That's all you got to tell me. Betts is a he's he's a vegan and he's training in the off season. Boom, he's gonna play second base. Oh God, please. (laughs) I hope so. Gain that would be nuts. That would be insane. Um, all right, let's go. Let's 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 knock this podcast out. I want to see who you guys got as right now. ADP 615 on. These are the league winners. These are the guys that can help you capture an overall title. The DC overall winner last year, his last 10 picks included Jorge Lopez, Juan Duran, Ryan Helsley, Jake McCarthy, and Vinny Pascantino and Jose Leclerc. These are what helps you win the overall championships. So, who do you guys got? Kevin, lead us off 650 and on. Who will return the most value and bring anyone toward an overall title? Ah, uh, this was really tough. And the and because there's several of them and and I I I I would lump them all together. I kind of steered away from uh relief pitchers. And now okay. I can't find where my guy ended up. <laughs> Oh, where'd he go? Well, I need you to I stall even more, up. Kevin. It's cool. Keep okay. going. <laughs> We're good. Uh, goodness gracious. I just want to make sure he still qualifies. You know why he's not coming up? Because I still have it on pitchers. Ah, he's not a pitcher. Yeah, and he's not a pitcher. Not a pitcher. It so, was Kevin Ginkle, but now he switched it. Okay. Oh, yeah. He still <laughs> qualifies by a lot. Uh, this is so the relief pitchers, I think, are guys you can score on in this range. Obviously, some of the, the less popular prospects. Uh, I think that covered a, a good portion of those 10 guys you just rattled off uh from last season. Um I I I know the playing time's a big question, but I just love the fact that Sam Hilliard is now no longer a Colorado Rocky and think it's possible that he could end up with some playing time. And at Ooh. an ADP of 723, uh, I'll definitely give that a chance in, in DCs and I will uh, have him on my watch list in, in other leagues as well. Interesting. I like it. I like it. All right, good. You stole plenty enough. I could find my guy um, or a guy at least. <laughs> um, so we talked about him on a couple uh, pods ago with uh, with with Shelly for straight. Um, we were talking about rule five guys. Um, so I am looking at Ryan Noda of Oakland, first baseman mm-hmm. uh, selected in the rule five draft has to be on the roster. Um, in regardless of that, that park being one of the worst parks to hit in uh, for obvious reasons, it's, well, to go see a game, to hit in, uh, to pretty much do anything. It's one of the worst parks in baseball. Um, he's, you know, the fact that he's going to be in a lineup that we say this, we say this, I say this all the time about Oakland hitters. Um, if they've got a job, they're probably going to play as often as they're allowed to play. Um, and so the playing time is there to get somebody with that kind of, I want to say guarantee, but the fact that he, can't be sent back down um, or he has to be sent back to his original team. 
um, you know, he should be on the roster at the very least. And to give him the kind of power that he brings to the table, he has some swing and miss to his game. Sure. Um, but if he can take advantage of the power to get out of that ballpark, he can stay in that lineup long enough to make a difference. So first base depth in your DCs, uh, it's going at, well, I just searched, I did DCs since day one. Uh, okay. he's got a ADP of 708, um, uh, but he's only been drafted in 17 drafts. Um, obviously that came a lot more, uh, he started getting drafted more often after the rule five draft was, uh, was finalized during the, the GM meetings. Um, or during the winter meetings. So be somebody that I'd be looking at, especially if uh, you know, I'm looking for that fourth first baseman in my DC. All right. I like it. I just snagged him um my last draft. Nice. Mr. Noda. <laughs> Round 48, too. He slipped in this one. That's man. you know, people say they're free. That's those last three rounds. That's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was an interesting draft. It was um uh, New Year's Day draft, um, and it's filled with a bunch of NFC veterans, really, really good players. Guys been playing for a long time, and um, but for a lot of them too, it was their first draft of the season. Um, so, uh, seems like a lot of them were playing a little more like risk averse with prospects too. Uh, they kind of like fell more than normal in my drafts, um, that have been in and. So I got to a point where I was just ready to just go straight bull, bullpen specs um, and uh, was done taking bats in my head, you know, and um, he was still there. And I was like, oh, you know what? Come on down, Ryan Oda. <laughs> Come I'll on. Take you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like you said, just knowing, you know, I just had to get I just had to get out of my head. Like, but what about Dermis Garcia? You know? He said too, but no. Um, I like that. Like you said, he has to stay on the roster, and um, I think he'll show enough. Obviously, the parks stinks, but he'll get some PT. And um, he's got yeah, some... in the Rule Five draft, like nobody takes position players in that draft. I mm-hmm. think there were two guys, only two guys taken, um, and the rest of them were pitchers. So that's a good reason why a lot of them don't actually pan out. You know, not everybody can be Garrett. Whitlock or right. um, you know, Akil Badu. Um, but at the same time, you still you have more certainty than most of the other guys you're uh, uh, looking at in round 48, 49, and 50. Yep. Makes sense. Interesting. I'm um I'm gonna go. Um it's it's interesting. I was looking at some more recent um like last uh 10 draft champions and uh, it's definitely interesting because I definitely noticed some guys that haven't really risen or dropped a lot, but enough no to notice. Um, but man, I can't believe Miguel Sano six sixty five in the last NDCs. What happened to Miguel Sano? I mean, oh god, can, what a quick! You, last year he was but going. Can't like you picture him going overseas though? Overseas. That's what I worry about Sano. Yeah, yeah, I worry no. about that with Sano. Interesting. He'll go there and break the home run records. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And then next year, ADP 112, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and that's just what happens. Um, let's see. Interesting group here. I'm also going to try not to go the reliever route because it's definitely some, some hit or miss. Um, but hold on a second. Let me see where this guy is. 
All right. I know we don't know what's going on with him. There's really been no news. And the one news I think we had was kind of, we don't know what's going to happen with him this year. But it's this late in the D.C., ADP 715, Steven Strasburg. Mm. Come, come on down, you know? I, I mean, he comes back for half a season or something. You know, he's better than Bo Brisky at that point, you know? Uh, I think he's still better than Madison Bumgarner, even when he's not pitching to even Strasburg. Uh, but... <laughs> <laughs> rather take the zero yeah. Uh, yeah rather take zero good point yeah that's that's the main reason for going him uh over madison bumgarner but yeah I, i'm 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 taking a shot there with strasburg I, I i feel like he's not knowing what he's going through medically which is is huge but i don't think he he's i don't think he's done for this full season again um i see we see him out there so yeah awesome Fellas, that was great. It was a large amount of content we just gave the world. There you just, go. What, just the pull hitter style. Now I'm just worried that Rob Silver is going to want to make a four-hour pod because anytime I I have one that beats his length, he you know he wants. Well, you to had it. two Pete. You had two of us. So two I mean, of you. We'll give him a little bit. Rob did it all on his own. The two youths. <laughs> two youths. <laughs> the two youths were here. We put on a show. Yeah. Cool, man. So I want you guys to let everyone know where they could catch your podcast and uh, where they could find you on the Twitter so they can um, follow your work. Yeah, you listen to us on the Pitcherless Podcast Network. It's uh, you, Or you can find our own feed on The Wire. Uh, on Twitter, it's at on the wire Pod. Um, we put out shows at least once a week. Um, we have two coming back-to-back this weekend. Um, well, depending on when you put this out, Rob, <laughs> at some point, right around <laughs> the same time that we uh, that you're listening to this, we have two. Uh, we're doing uh, one uh, with Steve Weimer with uh, streaming hitters, and then we'll do one with Nick Pollock with st- about streaming pitchers. Um, but we've got a bunch of off-season content. We'll be doing a hopefully we'll be doing a live 100th episode during PitchCon uh, at the nice. end of January, uh, and then we'll just be doing weekly right kevin i'm like every we put it out every sunday morning um first thing recommendations on who might be available for fab go over some news and notes that might have happened throughout the week that you should consider um and then i mean what drives our show man is 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 the fact that we have amazing guests on our show rob you've been on our show um like the the guests that we have drive it um uh, I mean, Kevin and I have been doing this for two years now, and we have a decent rapport. But the fact that we can bring in different viewpoints from different experts, not only a- analysts but players um, of your caliber and 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 you know Steve's caliber and, and what have you, is just what makes it so much fun and being able to get those different perspectives. I one hundred thousand percent agree with that. It's um everyone's like, oh, great pod. I'm like, thank the guest. Like, yeah, you know. <laughs> I have the questions, but the most I can do, like they can do is um, give me something to even act them back. And it's, I think that's why I tend to go so long in, in some of these pods, because, um, you know, when you guys say stuff, I'm not just going to go to that next question. Like there's always nuggets within a guest answer. And I like the free flowing ability to, you know, not be so stuck on moving along to that next thing where you could just dive deeper because I think that's where you get the best discussions, you know, something like happens from one question where all of a sudden it's a discussion that ends up on something else. 
And then all of a sudden, in your, you know, as you know, Adam, in your doc, you're like, oh my God, but we skipped 11, but we're supposed to be on four. But, <laughs> you know, in your head, like in my head at least, I'm like, okay, well, let's just go, just let it flow. You know, like don't worry about bridging that because I think that's where we get sometimes. Like uh, I'm listening to something, like I I could hear it. I could hear the forced, you know, next, 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 and I don't like that. I I like the discussion. I like what we can get out of that, and I think that's you know where you get your best content. Kevin, where can they find you on the Twitter? Yeah, uh, I'm at Hasting Kevin, and everything else Adam had to say about the the podcast and Pitcher List, and where you can find the Pitcher List Discord is great. By the way, uh, mm-hmm. great conversations all, all the time. You, you can find Adam and I, and and the rest of the the, the podcasters and writers at Pitcher List in there from time to time. Uh, it, it's a great time to check out, and uh, yeah. That's that's pretty pretty much it. You I said I you were going to change fab- your name, right? I'm sorry. I, I'm it, thinking about it. You're I'm thinking, thinking about, about it, it, right? Yeah, I, I haven't looked at it to see if it's available yet, but I, I might I might go with that chasing wins if it's available. Jake, I, I keep talking it. about that. I keep talking about <laughs> I it on it. every episode. It seems. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's amazing. And it, just to echo what both of you guys have said, it it blows my mind how gracious mm-hmm. so many people are with their time. Uh, to join us and, and talk baseball, especially in season when uh, we're pretty adamant about the recording as late as possible on Saturday so we could get it out early Sunday, but it be as relevant as possible for Sunday night fab. And, and everybody is just so gracious with their time. It's amazing. Yeah, I totally agree with that. It's um, it's definitely awesome. Like just appreciative of, of time because you know we don't have so much of it so when people are willing to share it with me and um you know do stupid stolen base drafts i really uh i really i really dig it i really appreciate it so uh it was awesome having you guys on and um i wish you all the best luck in fantasy leagues and definitely keep doing what you're doing um i think it's a great great product that you guys have um and it's a great pod that uh it's uh must listen every week so Cheers to you guys, and um, thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks, Rob. All righty, folks, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Pohero Podcast. This one ran, obviously, a little long, but um, appreciate anyone who made it to the end line. Um, it appreciates, um, you know, just the fact of getting into discussion. I know they're long pods, but I feel like we have some good actionable stuff here, and I just love having great conversations with uh, friends that I know and, um, you know, just fantasy analysts who give me their time and anyone who just give me the time to you know talk about this stuff so appreciate any of the um, feedback that i'm getting and the ratings and reviews super super kind and super helpful to the pod and um, we have big things coming in the future so keep keep coming back really love it and uh don't be a bag of shit peace